genre. Franchiseography, the podcast that digs deep into the entire filmographies of Hollywood's biggest film franchises. I'm Nick Jimenez. I'm Scott Corelli. Today, from Hell's Heart, we continue our miniseries on the Star Trek film franchise with the second film adapted from the legendary Gene Roddenberry TV series. It's 1981's The Wrath of Khan. And we have a guest joining us to talk about vengeance, getting old, and Rats in Space, Tim Garcia. Hey, thanks for having me on, guys. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, t- Tim, to have you. this is a momentous occasion. You know, you are the co-host of uh, the best Star Wars podcast in the galaxy, New Republic Archives. That's right. And yet you are here talking about uh, Trek. Yes. Um, I was raised on both. I came from, come from a hybrid household. So uh, I... Mm-hmm. <laughs> I uh, Grew up watching mainly the original series. Actually, I did not watch. I, I if you start asking me next gen, next generation questions, I'm lost. Uh, but uh, I just loved, you know, Kirk and Bone and Bones and Spock and everything. And um, yeah, my my childhood was come home, and the, at 4 p.m. there was a you know a rerun of the original series on the Sci Fi Channel, and I'd come back and watch that like literally every day after school. So. Do you remember watching Space Seed while you were like coming home and watching the show every day? Oh yeah, oh yeah, loved Space Seed. Uh, that was one of my favorites. I mean, I like. I always. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you listen to New Public Archives, you know I have a tendency to go for the goofier stuff. So I really like like uh, a piece of the action and uh, Trouble with Tribbles and like a lot of those second season ones uh, where it gets a little silly. Um, but uh, Space Seed's one of my go-to like more of the serious ones uh, that I really like. Uh. Scott, are you a Space Seed fan? I, I have seen Space Seed. I believe I watched it with you. Um, nice, yeah. Uh, for the first time as, like, an adult. But, like, I don't know. I have no memory of, like, which Star Trek episodes I watched with my dad um, growing up because he would just make me watch them. <laughs> like, I, I, you know, they all they all tended to blend together um, for me. He's especially, like, the time travel ones. Um, so like yesterday's enterprise and things like that. And the, uh, mission impossible crossover <laughs> episode. Um, those are the ones that he liked a lot. And I sorry, I have a, I have a more of a memory of those, but, and, and then the comedy ones like trouble triples, but, um, so I'm not sure if I watched this as a kid or not, cause I didn't watch any of them on TV. I would watch them on my dad's massive VHS collection, uh, that he all, he bought, Probably entirely from like um, uh, that store in the mall um, with like oh, all the vi- Suncoast. Suncoast, yeah. yeah. He probably bought all of them from Suncoast. Um, 
but uh, uh, but I do. I you know I I, I when I rewatched the series um, a few years ago, or or sort of like watched it for the first time with an adult brain. Um, I I this one in particular, uh, Space Seed in particular, like really stuck out as like one of my favorites. Um, and really, I know that you can watch Wrath of Khan. And I mean, I mean, you know, the box office numbers, I think, back that up. But I know you can watch Wrath of Khan without having seen Space Seed. But I do think having seen Space Seed really does like add a lot to the experience of Wrath of Khan because it's such it's just a random episode. Like, that's the thing that kills me about it is like it's just a random episode of Star Trek. Um, and the fact that they were like, let's make a sequel to that and make it one of the best science fiction films of all time is just the, the craziest thing um, to a point where I kind of wish, like I know because of the way Wrath of Khan ends, they had no choice but to do what they did with the with the future sequels and sort of continue on that sort of like line of narrative. But I would have loved just a series of Star Trek movies that were sequels to episodes of the show. Um, I feel like that would have been like a really cool way to like continue the original series Star Trek movies. But um, also, you know, I want Spock back because I miss Spock and I love Spock. <laughs> you know, Scott, you said that and rewatching it. Uh, we watched it last night, actually, with my mom, which is apt because she's the the half of my parents that got me into Star Trek. <laughs> my dad was a Star Wars guy. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, I went over to her house and we watched uh, the movie together and I thought the exact same thing, how how funny it is that this is a sequel to a random episode. And then I started thinking about what episodes I would like a movie sequel to. Um, and, oh, yeah. you know, how cool it would be to have like, okay, let's check back in on the mafia planet that they went to or like, you <laughs> yeah. know, like, like just, yeah. you know, if they just did like a random sequel to, to stuff like that. That's uh, well, that's funny. Well, that, that's not... what Quentin Tarantino wanted to do. He wanted to go, yeah. he wanted to kind of remake that episode. Yeah. <laughs> oh, right. That's right. Um, uh, as opposed to Into Darkness, which I realizing having just watched, I rewatched Spacey this morning as well as Wrath of Khan. Nice. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm realizing that Into Darkness is actually a remake of Space Seed, not Wrath right. of Khan. But most people haven't seen Space Seed, so they're like, this is a remake of Wrath of Khan. It's a. <laughs> It's a remake of Space Seed with echoes of Wrath of Khan. Like they do the. the yeah, there's yeah, definitely. Because yeah. it's a definitive story right, versus right, right. Space Seed, which is sort of left open in the end. But um, uh, I. I uh, what, well, one of the things that I was just thinking about, too, is like Wrath of Khan, sequel to a random episode of Star Trek, the original series, one of the best Star Trek movies. No one would ever debate that. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. it, it is at least one of the best Star Trek movies. It's not a not divisive movie in the canon. <laughs> right. No, not remotely. Um, but then it's like, oh, well, what's the other best Star Trek yes. movie? And it's like also a sequel to to a, an episode right. of Next Gen. Um, and so it's just like, it, like if that's your one-to-one, every time you do a sequel to an episode of the Star Trek you know, show that you're you're turning into a movie... And it's that good both times. Like, why aren't we just doing that every right. single time? That's the yeah. that's so funny because I literally had the exact same thought process last night. Going like, <laughs> yeah. what's the other one? Oh, First Contact. Oh, that's also yeah. a, a sequel. That's hilarious. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Man, I say it's see Tim. We both figured out Star Trek. Yeah. If only Hollywood could come to <laughs> the same conclusion that we came. I to can't last remember night. if this was like a totally baseless rumor that I read on like collider or whatever in the early 2000s but 
I remember there being a rumor that a possible post-09 Star Trek sequel idea was uh, Jack Black playing, is it Harry Mudd? Yeah, uh, Harvey Mudd. Oh, is it? Yeah, yeah Harry Mudd. It's yeah, Harry. Harry. It's Mudd. Harry. Yeah, yeah. yeah, Harry Mudd. And like, and then oh, was like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I was just saying that would be great. <laughs> I love yeah. Mudd. I, I think it was like, oh, that's not blockbustery enough. Oh, yeah. Right. Jack Black's never been in any blockbusters. That's right. That's that's the problem, though, <laughs> is that that's the problem, though, is that like all the best Star Trek movies kind of aren't super blockbustery. Like they're all very like like this one. You know, you have a, a villain who the hero and the villain never are in the same room ever in the entire movie. Like that's bonkers that mm-hmm. we got a movie that everyone agrees like this is like the epitome of a Star Trek movie. And then it's like the the villain and the hero never even really face off. Like it's kind of crazy. <laughs> yeah, it's, that's yeah. that's very true. And I love, I mean, it does benefit from being in a post-Star Wars world, I think. Um, yeah. Where they've kind of figured out a little bit about how to do a big movie like this. Um, but uh, yeah, you're right. It's it's not, it doesn't, it still follows kind of a Star Trek-esque uh you know, story structure where it's not trying to yeah. be Star Wars either. Well, you know, right. unlike, you know, you could argue that the Star Trek, the motion picture was influenced by the success of, you know, 2001, a space odyssey. Mm-hmm. Um, and just as much as like this movie is kind of coming out in a post like empire world, it's more, it's coming after a post motion Star Trek, the motion picture world. Uh, right. This was a right. movie made with an agenda. Uh, in response to a movie that was not well received by general audiences or even Trekkies at the time, mostly. Right. Um, right. But it's funny. It's also like, you know, uh, both of you had the, the, the discovery of like, this is a very interesting, weird direction to go for mm-hmm. a sequel to a big franchise like Star Trek. And I, I, I didn't even think about this while I was like doing my notes, but now just thinking while we're recording, like, you know, we're living in this age now where, like, big projects and movies and franchises are, franchises are steered by algorithms and mm-hmm. numbers. And the decision to make, uh, like, a big screen sequel to the Star Trek episode Space Seed was largely the creative decision of one person. Mm-hmm. And then everyone else, the studio at large, decided to, like, okay, that's a good idea. Let's go with that. And, like... Like, would a computer have come up with this idea, you know? Right, right. Because cor- correct me if I'm wrong, um, like, it was basically, like, Nicholas Meyer not being a Star Trek fan at all, watched a few random episodes to find, like, a villain, <laughs> right? And then was like, oh, this guy rules, and then decided to go from there, uh, Correct right? story, but it was not Nicholas Meyer. It was okay. uh, someone who came on board much earlier, producer Harv Bennett. Okay, um, okay. okay. So in the wake of yeah. the Star Trek, the motion pictures box office, it, you know, it wasn't a bomb, but it didn't match the success of Star Wars, which I think in the back of their minds, Paramount thought was possible. Okay. Right. Yeah. With Star, Star Trek being such already a big cultural touchstone. Yeah. Maybe before they saw it. <laughs> yeah. I think, of course. Yeah. I think once they saw it, I think <laughs> yeah. they'd be like, all right. I think it's probably you, you told that story about the, about them watching the, the Paramount execs watching the movie. And then when it was over, be like, well, let's go get a drink. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Gene Roddenberry and one of the producers, Tim. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's good. So Gene Roddenberry came back into Paramount's office shortly after the film wrapped up its theatrical run and said, hey, 
I've got an idea for a sequel. Uh, the Klingons go back in time and stop the JFK assassination and the Enterprise crew have to go back in time and reset the timeline and kill JFK. And Paramount says, you are not in charge of this franchise anymore. <laughs> <laughs> there, that's an incredible pitch. They literally went to the studio and said, but, I want to see Captain Kirk murder JFK. <laughs> but, 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 but the thing about it, though, is it's just, it's just City on the Edge of Tomorrow. Like, it's just a remake of that with JFK instead of a love interest. Right, right, right. But it's like, it's the same thing of like... We can't with like this great man. Like we have like the Klingons try to save him, but then it's like, but if he doesn't die, mm. none of this other stuff happens. So he has to die in order for the like the timeline to be correct. So it's like the same story, just with JFK, and it's just like Gene, buddy. Mm-hmm. So uh, and take a step it. back, go back to TV, and go you back can, to TV. You can slip in a line about the to each according to uh, uh, to his abilities, but you yeah you can't go and kill the the president. <laughs> Yeah. So um, in William Shatner's words, uh, Gene Roddenberry was uh, kicked upwards, kicked upstairs. Uh, His official credit was executive consultant, but he would not have the same access to Star Trek two that he had with Star Trek Mm one. Enter Harv Bennett. Uh, he his career really took off when he was working at Universal, producing such television hits as The Six Million Dollar Man and The Bionic Woman. Uh, and both just huge. a few. Yeah, both like huge hits that kids probably like have no idea what they are. Um, <laughs> we at least had like robot chicken and stuff to like make jokes about it. Yeah. Um, and only a few weeks into his new job at Paramount, a Harv Bennett is brought into a meeting room. With a bunch of high-level Paramount people, including two of Hollywood's best friends, Jeffrey Katzenberg and Michael Eisner. Oh, those sound familiar. <laughs> and, yeah, and th- <laughs> it's it's so interesting seeing like how these like people like they're like pop up across like the history of these movies. Like mm-hmm. that's the dude who would go on to make Shrek, but he was once in a yep. room talking about Star Trek. Yeah, Star Trek. Well, they both stuff were too. at Paramount, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah, because Eisner Eisner was about to leave, I believe. I think he was about to leave Paramount to take over Disney, like, I think within, like, a couple of years of this movie being released. Yeah. I think he joined Disney around, like, 83 or 84 Crazy. or something like that. So yeah. um, they all asked producer Marv Bennett, like, hey, what did you think of the first Star Trek movie? And he was like, well, I thought it was boring, like like everyone did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they were like, all right, what what do you, do you think you could make a Star Trek movie for $45 million? And he was like, honestly, I think I can make five movies for $45 million. (laughs) And they were like, okay, cool. Like, let's, let's do this. But he's like, but I've never seen it before. And so like, uh, uh, exactly like you said, Scott, he sat down with like a 16 millimeter projector um, and just slowly over the course of three months, watched every single episode of Star Trek. And Mm. eventually he gets to space seed and he's like, holy shit, this is great. Um, he puts it really well. He describes Star Trek as like a triangle where you have Spock and Bones and Spock mm-hmm. is all passion or no, no, Spock is all logic and Bones is all passion. Right. Mm-hmm. And then at the mm-hmm. top of the triangle, you have Kirk. And mm-hmm. every week, Kirk has to decide whether to lean more towards one side of the triangle or the other or like find a way to honor both. But like, you know, mm-hmm. Rare is the adventure where, like, both Bones and Spock end up, like, happy with Kirk. Right. Right. 
Um, and he really liked the Khan episode because he was like, Khan almost breaks that triangle. He's, mm -hmm. he's such a great villain. So he uh, comes back to Paramount and he goes, hey, I think this is going to be like, I think this is it. Because he thinks that's what was missing from the first Star Trek movie where the villain was a cloud. Right. Yeah. This movie needs a strong villain. So they, uh, he starts with a, a draft of a script that is turned in in November of 1980 called War of the Generations. Um, and I was unclear as to like why kind of sometimes Hollywood, it seems like they just commission new drafts, like almost reflexively. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, but a new draft is written by the writer of Omega syndrome, Jack B. Sowards also in 1981, uh, called stolen weapon, which was about a terraforming device being stolen. Mm -hmm. And so you have these two different scripts kind of conflicting with each other. Uh, producer Karen Moore, was uh, at a barbecue with director Nicholas Meyer, director of one of Scott's favorite movies, Time After Time. <laughs> Tim, have you seen Time After Time? Movie. I have not seen that. I have it it's, it's. Do you know what it's about? No, no clue. Okay, get ready to have your mind blown. All right, I, you uh, know, know this about me. I love time travel and like anything. Yeah, so, so yeah. okay, so, so, um, uh, uh, so <laughs> David Warner okay. plays Jack the Ripper. Okay. Who is who is friends with H.G. Wells, played by Malcolm McDowell, <laughs> steals H.G. Wells' time machine and travels to the 70s so that because he's on the verge of being caught as Jack the Ripper, escapes to the 70s to be Jack the Ripper in the 70s, in 1970s New York, and H.G. Wells has to go to the future That's to stop him. An incredible story. I love that it's just assumed that H.G. Wells actually has a time machine. That's yes. How, yeah, that's incredible. <laughs> yeah, he was like, actually, I wrote this about my about my own adventures, yeah. the Time Machine, uh, much like Bilbo Baggins wrote about the Hobbit. Right, right, right. That's incredible. <laughs> yes. Oh man, I gotta find that. I, yeah, I gotta find that movie. Yeah, I have to check it out. Um, There's a Jack so, the Ripper episode of Star Trek, just to tie it all back in. Whoa. Yeah. There, oh, which one is doesn't that? that? That was like the demon that actually was the Jack the Ripper, but it was actually like a alien that existed every you, i don't remember even which one it was called. oh that sounds vaguely familiar yeah i can't remember the name of it's it though. A, it's a weird one yeah it's one of those ones that it's like a cooler idea than it is an execution it's called a lot it's of called Trek, wolf in the fold wolf in the fold yeah yeah that does not yeah. sound like an episode where jack the ripper is gonna pop up no nope <laughs> in the uh behind the scenes documentary footage on uh on the blu-ray of this movie uh Nicholas Meyer tells the story of being at a barbecue with producer Karen Moore. And she's like, Hey man, like you directed time after time. You need to get out there. You need to direct something like, just like you're, you're, you know, you're not leaving the house. You need to like get on board a new project. And he makes his point of like, if my own mother had told me that I might not have listened, but because it was a friend, it really like shook me. Yeah. And it, it it's a poignant statement from the director of a movie that seems to really innately understand the influence and weight that like friendships can have on a person. Mm -hmm. uh, so Nicholas Meyer comes in, meets with Paramount, makes Paramount happy. And he comes up with an idea of like, okay, let's make a big long list of everything we like from these two drafts. It could be plot stuff. It could even be a line of dialogue, but everyone make a list of what they like and I will go off and rewrite everything into one script with everything that we like. Mm -hmm. And I will do it in 12 days 
I will do it for free and I will do it uncredited. Wow. Wow. <laughs> and uh, like few people were like Shatner was like, I don't even think you, you can do that, but sure. Like, go ahead. <laughs> um, but he does. And he comes back with a uh, 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 kind of an uncredited rewrite that would become Wrath of Khan incorporating like the good stuff. And it's, it works because it kind of keep the Genesis stuff keeps this from being just like a mindless blockbuster. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, like the, the drama and the passion of Khan and everything is great, but like, you know, the Genesis of it all really keeps it feeling like Trek to me. Yeah. Well, and it's the juxtaposition because the whole thing with Khan is that he's supposed to be a man out of time mm. and to be this representation of uh, this time in our history where we tore ourselves apart only to be rebuilt and become, you know, the society, the utopian society that we become in Star Trek. Mm. Um, the, having him juxtaposed with Genesis and even finding a way to turn Genesis into a weapon. Yeah. I just, all of that stuff, that's good shit. Like, all of that is such good shit. <laughs> I love that. And it's also very, like, human because, well, it's also, it fits uh, Khan, right? Because he was trained to mm -hmm. basically think in war terms, basically. Uh, but also, it's the first thing that Bones thinks as the like, kind of more passionate human thing when he hears about Genesis. He's like, this is a, this is a weapon, like, mm -hmm. more than anything else. So, yeah, yeah, I don't know. It's it's interesting. Like, it's, you know, it's like, yeah, that's what humans are going to do with any sort of technology. <laughs> it's just, we'll make, let's, yeah, how can we make sure. this a bomb? And, uh, and I never thought about that before, Scott. The idea of Khan representing, like, the more savage, violent version of humanity that we've managed to escape from in Starfleet time. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. um, and so the script is written in 12 days. Everyone's like, wow, he did it. Um, a big thing that he latched onto Meyer was the like nautical uh, aspect to Star Trek. Um, mm -hmm. He saw this as like Horatio Hornblower in space. Mm -hmm. And that would go on to sort of influence everything from the costumes to uh, the score. And I think it succeeds. This really does feel like a sweeping naval adventure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I will say it does create, um, it, it, or I should say it adds much more of like a military operative to the Federation. Mm -hmm. Um, that wasn't always as like present, before um like there's that scene where like he meets the cadet and the cadet is like staring forward and being like yes sir yes mm -hmm. sir and i'm like this feels weird and like i i love this movie but this this moment does feel very out of place in star trek and don't they they even call uh the enterprise the military when they i mean when they're talking about mm -hmm. you know taking over genesis he's like well the military yeah. got involved you know and it's like you know they're they're exploring I have a question. Yeah. Um, so, you know, because that line is, is his name Jack? Is that the name of his son? Uh, David? David, my bad. David, David yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, that boy's my are, son. Are David and Carol and company, are they technically Starfleet? No. No, I don't believe that, they are. Yeah. That's really interesting. Because, yeah. yeah, the movie kind of positions them, in particular David, as like the passionate, self-righteous, like hippie scientists. They're like, man, mm -hmm. the military's coming to take away our, but like, yeah, it's Starfleet. Yeah. Right. Right. Well, and that's and that's exactly why I think Gene Roddenberry hates this movie. But he did <laughs> he like he likes the he likes all the money he made from it. But I don't think mm -hmm. he likes this movie. <laughs> and I think that's why. Yeah, actually, Scott. Yeah, I found exactly that in my notes that Roddenberry 
had a lot of issues with the script of project going forward, but they were like, you do not get a say in this anymore. You help make the motion picture. Yeah. 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 And, um, I did not so care for the character of David. I think, I don't think, <laughs> yeah, I don't think there's a person on the planet <laughs> earth who likes David Marcus. Okay. He, um, the, the third act, oh. he just hangs out on the bridge and there, yeah, there's a why are you here wearing your sweater? Like it's oh, there's a wide shot of everybody on the bridge, and he has his arms crossed, and I'm like, yeah, what, yeah. what, what what's you, wrong right now? <laughs> what are you doing here? Like, why is it? Yeah, <laughs> no, D- David sucks, and I don't know what thematically giving Kirk a son does, other than eventually pays off in Star Trek Six. Yeah. Um, like we get, we get good Kirk stuff in Star Trek six because of David, um, and things that happen to him in the future. But like, in de- other than that, I don't know what he adds to the proceedings whatsoever. Yeah. In defense of David as a thematic device, not so much as like a cool, interesting character. Um, sure. In a lot of the way, in a lot of ways, this movie is about Kirk finding a zest for life again. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he thinks that his best days are behind him. And now all he has to look forward to is like, you know, the slow march towards the grave. And mm. it's a little, um, you know, and instead he like gets, oh, my God, I have a son. Like, maybe I do have like more to. But then he also ends the movie saying, like, I feel young. Yeah. And he's looking at Genesis. And so it's like, oh, is Genesis what makes him is igniting his zest or is it David? You know, it's a little. It's, yeah. That yeah, and and it feels like it feels a little bit like um counterintuitive to like how does like ha- having a a thirty year old son make you feel young <laughs> again? You know, like <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Whereas like whereas like if he had like hooked up with an old flame in the form of Carol, David aside, right? No David in the situation, and just been like. Oh wow! Like I have this zest of life because I've like fallen for this woman that I used to have like a fling with, and you know, that, I feel like that would have been a little a little more truer to Kirk's character too. You know? Yeah. I don't know, Tim. I have and, a point, but do you have anything to say before I talk? I just just on for for me, especially towards the end when we're kind of getting a parallel of these two captains or these two leaders, I should say, one's an admiral, uh, but uh, you have. Uh, Kirk and his son, and his son's kind of on the bridge just whining at him. And then you have Khan, on the other hand, and he has, like, an actually really good second-in-command who Mm -hmm. is very, like, I respect your intellect, but I'm going to tell you the things that you need to hear whether or not you want to hear them. I'm still going to follow your orders, but you need to hear these things. You need to be warned. Like, he has, like, one of the best second-in-commands like there like and he's like actually doing it. i'm like mm-hmm. this guy rocks this guy sucks but then, like, they <laughs> yeah. kind of look at each other they kind of look like each other a little bit like i don't know it's yeah like, i don't know yeah it was yeah. just kind of interesting and, and in terms of that like i think there could have been like a stronger through line of that where khan doesn't listen to that guy but kirk always listens to his second in commands yeah um you know whether it's like spock or mccoy or and the, whatever and that's the he, thing is he always listens to their advice is khan does tend to listen to that guy like he does tend to like oh okay i guess we'll do i mean he doesn't in the end but like he does mm-hmm. tend to okay respect that guy's opinion like it's like cuz that's what he's there for i don't know it was, it was like this 
he's a good leader. He listens to his people. You know, you, you get you classic classically. You always get the bad guy that's like, oh, you fool. No, we must, you know, everything. And we end up getting that towards the end anyway. But um, yeah, um, I so I was thinking about, OK, what's it? Why does this rem- what is this reminding me of where an old dog war dog meets a son? And it kind of forces him, an adult son, and it forces yeah. him to reckon with his life as a swashbuckling adventurer. And I'm like, oh my God, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Yeah. Oh, that's so funny. I was just thinking the life aquatic. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that's where you were going. That's amazing. That's so <laughs> I mean, they're, they're basically the same film. Well, Let's okay. <laughs> Let's look at the three, those three men. You got Captain Kirk, you got Steve Zizu, and you got Indiana Jones. Right. Yeah, sure. Both like dudes who for multiple reasons like are having trouble letting go of like their life, their glory days or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um I think it's a little ambiguous in Life Aquatic if like Steve Zizou hangs it up after that movie or like walks right. off into the sunset. But in Crystal Skull, would you argue that Indy is walking off into the sunset in that movie? I think he I would argue yes cuz that's where he gets married, he's settling. It's like but he takes He even passes the hat, you know. Oh, he takes the hat back. Yeah. That's right. I forgot. Yeah. yeah. Um but like, still, I think he's I don't know. Cuz I agree with Scott. Li- I, like you would you would think that finding an adult son is like, "You know what? I am it is time for me to pack it up. I am ready to be a, a father to this 30-year-old man." But like <laughs> he he ends the pack movie. Get in, Frank, you silly bastard. Yeah. <laughs> But at the end of this movie, I think he kind of feels rejuvenated at the prospect of, like, being on a ship again, like Spock told him at the beginning of the movie. Right. Right. I I just, I actually genuinely feel that David muddies all the thematic waters of this movie that could have been tight as a drum. Oh, yes. And and I don't know if you saw this in in any of your research, but I'm wondering if the sun stuff comes directly from Shatner. Like he was like, I I like the part in the script where I have a son because that's interesting, like emotion stuff that I get to play with that I've never played with with Kirk. And regardless of whether the thematics of it mix up the movie, Shatner's like, no, but I want that. I, I want I want. <laughs> and in the sequel, I want a dead son. So. <laughs> I couldn't find any definitive, like, if rewrites were as bad in motion picture, but I also mm-hmm. didn't see any evidence to it not be, if it just, is, is it just presumed at this point that yeah, all of these got passed back and forth between Nimoy and Shatner? Yeah. Right, right. I don't know. Yeah, it's, I don't know. yeah, I don't know. But you're right, because I was, up until they really started going heavy with the sun stuff, I was saying to my mom, rewatching it, going, this movie is very tight. Like, there's mm-hmm. not many wasted scenes. I definitely have a scene that I'm like, this is the scene that pulls the movie together. Um, mm-hmm. I But uh, I think it's the one in Spock's quarters, I think, is yes. the scene that holds that. Holds I completely agree. I, I have that in my notes. Yeah. I'm like, oh, this is this is this is the this is the kingpin. Right. This is the, the yeah. This That's, is the main pin of the scene of this whole movie. Yeah. Holding it all together. Yeah. Uh, but, <laughs> you know, in, in, even still, it's such a like there's not much flab on the on the movie Mm -mm. Um, but you're right it's that it's the it's like what's the sun part doing here Mm -hmm. it's yeah it could be saying something it doesn't feel like it's saying something did stuff get cut like what happened you know Mm -hmm. right so uh meyer and company took really clever and creative measures to keeping the movie feeling like a big star trek summer blockbuster on a significantly smaller budget Uh uh production designer joseph jennings uh would use many 
motion picture elements that were left standing, mm-hmm. like a lot of sets, a lot of Klingon warbirds, a lot of mm-hmm. props. <laughs> it's just stuff from the first movie again. Yeah. Well, there, I have I have a note here where it, where it says uh, Kirk arrives on the Enterprise for inspection via the motion picture because <laughs> they're just using all the same clips. Yeah, they're just like let's just we don't need to shoot this again. We'll just reuse it all. <laughs> um, and here I I never noticed this. So you know, sixty five percent of the movie is one set. Uh, yeah, makes sense. The Enterprise. And yeah, the bridge of uh, the bridge of the Reliant. Where where Khan and his crew are, that's the same set as the uh, Kobayashi Maru bridge. Oh, oh, okay, that sure. makes sense. Yeah, so, wow. So saved a lot of money. Um, the costumes were dyed to look different, and they had the choice between red and gray. And Meyer chose red because they thought it would contrast the the like sets more. So that's why I they thought did. that was a. Mm-hmm. I love the the officer costumes in this. Um, I yeah. do not like the engineering costumes, um, but sure. <laughs> like forbidden they, planet. They they always overcomplicate the engineering costumes. Yeah. I don't know why. They look like just like 1950s spacesuits, which I guess if that's what they're mm-hmm. going for, mission accomplished. But yeah, mm-hmm. what, they got like what, a little C three PO targets in the middle of their chest. But yeah, yeah. right. What can we squeeze James Duhon into to make him look real yeah. silly? <laughs> uh, Tim, what do you think of like the film's more naval military aesthetic for Starfleet? Um, it's interesting because um, that's not really what Starfleet was for a long time. So I'm not sure if that was a like it was an intention. Like, okay, we're we're definitely. I mean, we start with the Kobayashi Maru, right? Which is like, oh crap, this is going to be combat. Like, mm-hmm. uh, we're preparing you for combat and life and death, which. For an exploratory mission, sure, you might come across it, but, you know, it's always been more of a, um, you know, they're an, they're an explorer ship. They're, they're charting places. They're looking for, you know, new life and new civilizations. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not a military, but maybe this... So the Star Wars brain in me is going, is this like the Jedi losing their way and, like, losing their... What their initial, you know... Uh, charter was um is that kind of what starfleet's doing is that what they're going to go down with um now i don't think that that that's what they're doing they're like oh if i do five movies this is where the starfleet will end up at the end you know it's not exactly how it goes but that could be an interesting thread for them to have kind of gone down yeah Um, Mm -hmm. scott knowing what you know about starfleet does that kind of check out with what you know going forward i mean i it it i've always felt that like yeah, like better safe than sorry seems to be like how they explain a lot of this stuff. Um, to me, also, like, aren't they in like active war with the Klingons at this point? Like, they're they're they go into peace times post Star Trek Six, and which is why like Worf is in the Federation in in Next Gen. But like, I'm wondering if the uh, the more naval sort of militaristic version of Starfleet is in response to the fact that they are like actively at war currently. I thought it was more of a cold war right now. Uh, cold war. Cause that's okay. the whole thing in the, they go in the Kobayashi Maru, they're violating the neutral zone. So the fact, right. so they're like, we had to have been the aggressors or the Klingons would not be attacking us, but we decided yeah. to go yeah. be the aggressors because there's someone over there. But 
Yeah, I mean, ultimately, look, the reason that it's like this is because <laughs> because the director thought it was cool. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, yeah. ultimately. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, and, and we know all about that with Star Wars. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So Tim mentioned multiple movies and Foresight, and uh, I'd like to clear the air because uh, I, I learned a lot of definitive stuff in the research about this movie when it comes to like mm-hmm. the, 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 the world building of it all. So um, Leonard Nimoy had no uh, – a big part of what brought him back was the idea of Spock dying. Right. Mm-hmm. He was I like, this, that part. this is probably going to be the last one. You know, we're lucky we made it this far. It'd be cool for this. I like that this has like a big, you know, impactful death of this character that I played for so long, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so then, and then a, a funny thing happened. Everybody started having a great time. Yeah. M- making the movie. Uh, yeah. Nimoy said it felt like we were making the good episodes of the show again. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden it was like, oh, wait, wow, maybe we can keep going. Maybe this isn't the end. Um, yeah. So by the time they get to filming like the scene where Spock goes into the warp room and, and sacrifices himself, um, they both, uh, Meyer and Nimoy kind of find each other on set and they're like, hey, we kind of, can you like, are you feeling like not? doing going through with this all the way and Nimoy's like yeah I kind of don't I want to leave uh, a speck of a hint of a chance for Spock to come back you know and Meyer was like okay well you're you're Leonard Nimoy like you think of something and I'll I'll shoot it and so the putting his hand onto Forrest Kelly's face and remember was all Nimoy's idea okay mm-hmm. um and so um oh you know I, I actually forget everything I just said or no edit everything I just said it wasn't Nicholas Meyer. It was it was Harv Bennett. Okay, a producer. Harv Bennett, the producer, was the guy that was like, "Oh wait, this feels yeah. like something." This really uh, Meyer really yeah. liked that it ended with Spock dying. Yeah, Harv Bennett, yeah. the famous uh, famous for being the battle simulator computer voice in this movie. Whoa, oh. that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Nim- Nimoy and Bennett shoot their secret, have their secret Spock hint. Uh, Shatner remains very peeved that they never let him in on any of this because he thought Spock was dead. Um, So they play the movie. They start test screening the movie. And according to Meyer, he was like, audiences, it looked like they were leaving a funeral. Yeah. Everyone was sad. No one was happy. And Meyer was like, oh my God, I killed Mr. Spock. Like, (laughs) what have I done? What what, what have I done? (laughs) And so the studio meets up with the filmmakers and they're like, hey, everybody, it bums everyone out. What can we do to like leave? Like, how can we make the ending happier? And that's how we get the uh, montage of of Genesis at the end Mm -hmm. and the the Spock uh, voiceover. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you can tell that that last Genesis scene, um, at, you know, when we get to it uh, at the very end of this episode mm-hmm. again, um, you can tell as it's like the the camera's like panning across. I'm like, oh, yeah, this is like this is like a 1960s style, like like whatever studio they can find. They filled with a bunch of fake trees and just oh, like, yep. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like it, it, it feels very like half ass. Like how quick and dirty can we put this together? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And Meyer disagreed with all of it. He was like, I don't like this. I really don't like the voiceover. I feel like it's laying it on too thick. Everyone's going to just know that Spock's coming back. And the kind of Bennett Nimoy camp was like, yeah, we know. Like, <laughs> that's, yeah. that's the point. It's hope. We, the, the movie needs hope. And Meyer yeah. was like, okay, 
do it. I'm not going to fight. Like, you know, I'm just, I'm just the director on this one. Like I, I'll, 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 I'll air to your judgment. And he admits when he saw test screening reactions to that movie, when they were like applauding on their feet and crying. Yeah. <laughs> He was like, cool. Okay, cool. He was like, oh, yeah. okay, maybe they were right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, I yeah. love Spock's death in this. Um, yeah. I love everything about even just the foreshadowing earlier in the film. Like, everything about this is perfect to the point where I'm kind of bummed they brought him back. I wish that there was a way to, like, reorganize the movies so this was how spock finished his character sure. you know? well because the because the thought process right was that like like unfortunately this is the reason why i don't love savik as a character yeah. because she ends up ultimately being a pointless character when in reality she was meant to replace spock in future movies like right. scott eastwood like, and fate of the furious <laughs> right, right. Leonard Nimoy was supposed to be out and savik was going to be the new spock going forward um and because they brought Spock back, as good as Kirstie Alley is in this movie. Yeah, she's yeah. great. There's nothing, it, it, it ends up being a nothing character because, like, there's no purpose to her. Um, she's just there to continuously badger Kirk with questions about the Kobayashi Maru. That's, like, her whole purpose in this movie. Yeah. Yeah, um, that's true. Yeah. She's She's great in it, but you're right, like, that she's basically just... Uh, basically setting the seeds for like, oh, Kirk doesn't play by the rules, which we already knew anyway. Right. But yeah. 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 I just find it so interesting that the, you know, the kind of behind the scenes journey of the movie mirrored the journey that the characters go on where this unexpectedly became a rejuvenating adventure that mm-hmm. made everyone feel like, oh, actually, maybe we can keep doing this because the camaraderie is so much stronger and we're having fun playing these characters and like. Even though, yeah, I kind of agree with Tim. There are times I'm like, God, this is kind of, I can't, like, this is the perfect ending for this character, even though we all know it's not the end. Yeah. You know? I'm just imagining the whole cast and crew all having a great time um, at, like, a bar, like, after they rap, and they're like, that was great, we love this, and then just outside in the cold <laughs> winter, Je- <laughs> Roddenberry is just looking in through the window and just being yeah. like, no, they're having fun without me. <laughs> I thought you said that they're like, all right, see you guys in two years when we shoot the next one. Anyway, later, Leonard. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'll show uh, them. I'll direct the next one. (laughs) Roddenberry is like Maverick outside of the little, the the bar. Yeah. 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 Um, Because they're just like, it's like, why are they, why are we having such a good, uh, good time this time and not last time? (laughs) What's changed? Who's not here? Uh, Last bit of notes before we get into the walkthrough. Uh, the movie could no longer afford the talents of Jerry Goldsmith, unfortunately. So mm-hmm. uh, they had to go off in search of a new composer. Um, mm. So they ended up from a pile of demo tapes. The uh, Paramount VP of music, Joel, Joel Sill, found the work of then 28-year-old James Horner. Mm-hmm. Um, so they really... What are you going to say? Sorry. I was just going to say, son of a bitch. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, so they're like, we like this guy. They uh, have Meyer meet with James Horner. The two immediately hit it off. They actually went on to become like personal friends, and they really jived with the nautical swashbuckling tone, mm-hmm. and that was really steered him through. He actually wrote the score incredibly quickly, uh, four and a half weeks. 
Wow. And it's dice. so good. I mean, I'm a massive yeah. Horner head, so I don't know. I yeah. like I like his stuff a lot. Uh, I I think this is um, heads and tails a better score than the Jerry Goldsmith score, and I like the Jerry Goldsmith score fine, but like it it I can't associate it as a movie score because it really just does sound like the Next Generation theme, and that's it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this feels like this is this is the score that I think of when I think of like the OG Star Trek movies are it, it's this it's this vibe, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, that new theme, that da 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 da, yep. that that theme is like the theme that I think of um, with all these old people, <laughs> <laughs> all, all these old people <laughs> riding in a spaceship. Rage. Yeah. Well, as a done. kid, I loved uh, and I still love uh, the Rocketeer, and he mm-hmm. that's like one of his best scores. I think, man, what a cool, oh, yeah, what a cool, and I just and I feel like there's echoes of that in of of that in this where it's, you know, it's kind of like an adventure movie. It's like a, and it's, you know, a lot of, I don't know. It's, it's got, like you said, like the kind of like, da, 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 da. it's kind of like a, uh, like a flying, you can see kind of a adventure kind of theme with it. I don't know. Now, yeah, Tim, I know absolutely. you're a car guy. Are you a, are you a master and commander, like Naval adventure guy? Oh, I loved, oh man. Okay. When I was in middle school, I knew like I could tell you every line on a ship. I could I like, knew all the different things. I've long since purged it from my brain. <laughs> wow. But I was a massive like yeah, I loved Master Commander. I loved I was reading all about naval history, like uh Edward Preble and like all sorts of different, you know, you know, all the different ships and everything. And then Pirates of the Caribbean came out and then everyone liked it, so I didn't I was like, No, this is lame now. So I stopped. Yeah. I, I yeah, purged it all. <laughs> just like just like me uh with the spanish language um yeah. after i had to once stop you... taking classes <laughs> oh i thought you meant it. once you found out a lot of people spoke it already you're like what <laughs> i thought i was <laughs> delete <laughs> no it's really i was useful. a hipster this was my language <laughs> um scott how does wrath of khan begin uh, it begins with the Kobayashi Maru, um, a really fun scene. I the thing that I that I was thinking about a lot while watching this was the original uh, Star Trek like O nine um, mm-hmm. film and that Kobayashi Maru scene, which is like referenced in this um, and the way that it plays out there, and and then watching uh, Savik attempt it here. Um, I just think it's really interesting and it's so mind boggling to me like and this this happens to me a lot where something is so ubiquitous in pop culture that watching the origin of it feels like weird where I'm like people are watching this. They don't know what the Kobayashi Maru is. Mm -hmm. So this is just like a shocking cold open where everybody dies. Like they probably thought it was like a dream sequence or something, but really everybody is stage acting. Why though? Why does everyone need to to stage act? That's the funniest part. (laughs) It's, it's great. I love it. Uh, The behind the scenes reason behind this was uh, during the process of there being like multiple drafts of Star Trek two being written with like the different plot points. Um, one of those got leaked. Uh, however, that happened back in the 80s. And yeah. so Spock's death then hit all the magazines and all the fan conventions. So this was meant to be like a smokescreen of like, oh. oh, that's how we That's why we all thought Spock was going to die. Okay, Spock's uh, not going to die. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, that's good. That that's makes good. sense. Um, 
and then uh so so obviously uh Savic um I fails the Kobayashi Maru in so much as like you can fail the Kobayashi right. Maru. That's the purpose you're of supposed to fail it. Yeah. Real, yeah. Real quick before we move on from the Kobayashi Maru. Uh mm-hmm. have any of you guys played well, I don't know if anyone a big video game uh thing, but they came out with a VR game called Star Trek Bridge Crew. I, I don't have any VR, oh, so I, 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 I want to play it really bad, but like I also can't justify $400 right, for, right, a right. Game, for a game uh, VR thing. I played it when it was first out, and there was like a lot of people playing it. Super fun. But the tutorial of that is taking the Kobayashi Maru, which is oh, super fun. that's fun. So it's super that's fun. Really so cool. I have actually taken the Kobayashi Maru, and I also failed. So, <laughs> <laughs> but Badge yeah, of super, um, what a blast was that, that game, but. So, uh, so Savic fails the Kobayashi Maru, um, as you do, and uh, everybody, the the crew, all stand up and uh, brush themselves off after, um, you know, pretending to die because they're all messy bitches who love drama, yeah. <laughs> and um, and and I mean the theater drama, yeah. <laughs> um, and and uh, and then the view screen opens up, and it, this backlight comes in, and then Kirk strides in um and and talks about uh uh how uh how how she failed the kobayashi maru but it's okay klingons don't um, take because you're supposed to yeah yeah and um it's a badass i this entrance of william shatner into this movie i'm just like this is the second movie and that's the entrance you give him this like crazy heroic entrance and i compare that to the first time people had seen kirk since 1969 in motion picture and it's through a porthole glass like it just <laughs> as like a train arrives and, and, and i'm just like oh my god what a what a difference i want to take a moment here i mean because look look the thing about the motion picture is it's like really hard sci-fi and i think that's so admirable and i think yeah it it's assignment that it set for itself it kind of struggles to meet because it's so ambitious and yes then you have wrath of khan that has a very different agenda and it completely a hundo percent aces it yes and yes yeah it's it like 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 that first star trek movie is trying to be a heady hard sci-fi movie mm-hmm. they're like what if we took what we were trying to do with Star Trek on TV and bring it to the movies and try to be the next 2001. We don't want to be Star Wars. Star Wars is Star Wars. We're going to do our own thing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what what makes Star Trek Star Trek? Or it's like heady sci-fi ideas. And then with this one, they're just like, we just want to make a crowd pleaser. And they just go for it. And it rules. Um, so good. Um, so, yeah, what an entrance. Uh, quickly, we learn that it's Kirk's birthday. Mm-hmm. He meets Spock um, out in a hallway after the after the Kobayashi uh, Maru test uh, uh, wraps up, and uh, first says, "Aren't you supposed to be dead?" Great, <laughs> really, really great, like fun, stupid foreshadowing. And it's also, I wonder if that's also a joke about about that. I thought about that too. Like, oh, is that is that meta? Are they doing like is, yeah. is that early? Yeah, like I, it's yeah. it's me. I'm here. Deal with it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, Lovely first scene. So he gets the Spock Kirk. Yeah, it's good. It's good. Um, he gives him. Uh, he gives him a gift. Um, everybody. Uh, everybody knows that Kirk loves uh, books and uh, <laughs> old shit. Um, it's his favorite thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he uh, he gets a book um, from Spock, and um, Spock is uh, you know 
It's just I like how friendly everybody is in this one because Spock was very dry in um, motion picture because he was like on the verge of, you know, purging all of his emotions. So he was basically like an android in Mm -hmm. motion picture, except for that, like one scene where he's like, we love each other. (laughs) (laughs) I love you, man. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. He has that one scene like that. Um Whereas, like, this one just feels like, oh, this is like the Spock from the TV show. Like, right. this feels like the Spock we all know and love. And, you know, we I think it's a reason – this is the start of an aspect of these movies that I think Scott and I really love about them is, like, the coziness of it. Yeah. Like, it feels like you're just watching all these people who have been friends for, like, 20 years almost just hanging out and going on an adventure together. Right. Yep. Yep. And they're your I mean, if you're if you were one of the audience that was had watched the show and everything, you're you feel like they're your friends. Right. Yeah. Like, like oh, these are my friends. It's cool that I'm hanging. I mean, that's half the reason I love watching Marvel movies still. It's like these yeah. are my friends that I've known for 15 years. You know, it's like, yeah. And like, yeah, yeah the kind of the, the longer you stick with it, the more fruitful it is to check back in with them and see them like watching The Sopranos or, you know. Yep, exactly. Yeah. Um. So Kirk goes back to his quarters and then McCoy drops by with his gift, um, which is uh, one, a bottle of Romulan ale, mm. and, which is illegal. Medicinal. Um, technically, but it's medicinal, so it's fine. <laughs> uh, and then, uh, and then a, a vintage um, pair of reading glasses uh, that he's like, yeah, people 400 years ago, they used to wear these before we invented that thing that uh, heals your eyes so that you don't have to wear, wear them anymore. And he's like, I'm allergic to the thing that heals your eyes. And yep. he's like, I know. That's why you need these. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is so good. I love Kirk and glasses. It's the best. Well, yeah. And I feel like, you know, I guess the eugenics wars made it so that LASIK didn't get invented. But um, right. And, yeah. So that's my headcanon of why. There's no LASIK eyes. Well, there. but also I'm not positive, but I feel like LASIK doesn't solve the specific problem that would require you to need readers. Um, because that's what those are. Those are yeah. readers. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think that's a different that's a different Is it? Okay. I don't know enough. Yeah, about I think I... Yeah, yeah. I think it's I think it's specifically like it fixes like nearsightedness and farsightedness, but it but like the readers is like this weird a specific different thing it doesn't i mm-hmm. i think it doesn't have anything to do with farsightedness or or okay. nearsightedness because like otherwise you wouldn't be able to get them like over the counter like you yeah could. yeah yeah um yeah um it has something to do with like your eyes just like getting older and huh yeah i love I the the turn that um, the scene takes where like you know bones is like hey man like you gotta like what's up with you why are we treating your birthday like it's a funeral like yeah Cause mm-hmm. is he turning fifty? Is that the deal? It's kind of like ambiguous, I think. Right? Yeah, probably by design. Uh, and by design, I mean by William Shatner's design. So there's a cool out in Tampa. You're gonna? <laughs> no, no. I was just saying it does feel like it's one of those milestone birthdays mm-hmm. where like, right. I definitely have. I've seen at least my dad go through a couple of those <laughs> where he's just like, uh-huh. you know, it's like, no, dude, it's fine. But yeah, I like that I, because. Yeah. I felt guilty that both Kirk and both Spock and Bones got him a present. I'm like, gosh, sometimes I don't even get my best friend's birthday present. But if it's like a milestone <laughs> birthday. Yeah. Yeah. Um yeah. there's a fun anecdote. That's 
a little different. There's a fun anecdote where uh, Shatner, yeah, Scott was very like prickly about the idea of letting Kirk start to get old and yeah. start to remark upon his age. He, yeah. he was like, I could still get away with it, you know, then, and, uh, Meyer was like, well, you know, the thing about actors is like, you kind of watch them age. Like you watch, you know, you, they live on the screen with you. Um, you know, who really rocked it. And you know, who kind of, you remind me of is Spencer Tracy. Spencer Tracy really aged gracefully. And I think you kind of have those same qualities. And he was like, Oh, Spencer Tracy. Oh, okay. And <laughs> like a year later, Meyer realized, Oh my God, they were both in that movie, the trial of Nuremberg that like was a big hit. And like, I had no idea that they had like, and it was like one of Shatner's first movies. And apparently he really looked up to Spencer Tracy. Oh, wow. And, oh, wow. <laughs> that was yeah. like the secret word. That's awesome. That's funny. That's good. <laughs> um, so, uh, uh, yeah. So they're just talking about the fact that, um, you know, Kirk, and Spock talked about this a little bit too. Um, he talks about it further in a later conversation, mm-hmm. but just referencing the fact that like he took the admiral position, and if the last movie proved anything, it's that he is not ready to be an admiral. He's not. He's not meant to be a guy behind a desk. And they both are saying like you're meant to be like an adventurer, and you did a five year mission, and that's it. And like that's not enough time for you. Like that's not you're not done yet you but you've put yourself out to pasture because you think that that's what you're supposed to do um i guess out of respect of everyone else uh who is also trying to move up but mm-hmm. the reality is like you're not going to succeed as an admiral because you're not meant to be there all you do is go out of your way to find missions that are going to get you back on the enterprise so just be a captain again i don't know it's um, uh it's something i could relate to getting older of like, you know, mm-hmm. it's been like maybe five years since I watched this movie last time of like, mm-hmm. you kind of like, well, it's my 50th birthday. They say that when you're 50, you have to stop like living your life. So I guess it's time for me to like, you can tell he's sort of denying his, what he really wants to do, which is like, and then and his best friends are able to totally notice that and call him on it. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, and also, I feel like McCoy is probably just like, I mean, not for nothing, man, but I'm older than you and you're making me feel old. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, just come on. Like, that, this is last I'm line. still a doctor. I'm still doing my thing. You don't see me becoming an ambassador of medicine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he tells them, it's like, you know, one day you really are going to be old. And like, what are you going to do? And it's so poignant to watch now because like, like. You know, it's 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 crazy seeing 1981 William Shatner being like, God, I'm so old. And it's like, you are still with us, sir. Yeah. And mm-hmm. you went to the moon. 40, 40 years later. It's nuts. Yeah. 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 Um, so then we cut to uh, Chekhov and his new uh, Captain Terrell um, looking for a planet uh, that will be appropriate to use a device called Genesis. Um, they are on a ship called the Reliant, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, they're sort of like talking to Carol Marcus and her son, David Marcus, on the regular one space station, um, which is a sort of independent science outpost, mm-hmm. um, independent of the Federation. Uh, two things. Uh, I think it's great that David has two first names. <laughs> yes. He, he seems like he that does. kind of guy. Uh yeah. Be listeners, I want to amend my statement. I know I know William Shatner didn't go to the moon. He he, <laughs> he, he briefly left Earth's orbit. 
Yes, right. I just want to make make a But more. his stock went to the moon. His stock, yeah, stock yeah. and Shatner to the, moon. <laughs> to the moon. Yeah. Remember when he used to just live tweet Arrow every week? <laughs> yeah, I know that. That was he's, that was a wild time. He's great. <laughs> um. So. We're now stepping into a situation where um, Chekhov and Terrell, they beam down to uh, what they believe to be SETI Alpha 6, and they find a spacecraft of some sort. It is a fuck, It is a totally deserted planet. It's like sandstorms and rocks, and it looks like Tatooine in the middle of a sandstorm. Um, and they go, they go down there, they find the ship, and Chekhov finds a seatbelt or some sort of belt thing that's labeled Botany Bay, Botany Bay. and he realizes that this is Khan's ship um, and tries to leave. Like, we got to go. We got to go now. Um, and so begins the most frustrating thing about Wrath of Khan for most Star Trek fans, which is that Chekhov is not in Space Seed nope. and would have has never had any interaction with Khan. I don't know why. They chose Chekhov for this role in the in the movie. I feel like not only would Sulu make more sense, but also I think George Takai playing this role and getting to be crazy again, yeah. like he was in the naked naked time. Yeah. I, I feel like he would have ate that shit for breakfast would've. and would have like just nailed it. Um and it would have made more sense. But yeah. So- uh what can you do? I have two. I have a no prize. Yes. Chekhov was not in. Well, Walter Koenig was not in Space Seed, right? Right, right. Chekhov, the Enterprise has 400 uh, crew members, right? Right, of course. So Chekhov right. was likely on the Enterprise. Yeah. I think that's how they've explained it. I think they. Yeah. I think some, some at some point they like wrote a scene in like a book or something where, where Chekhov. It might have even been written by. <laughs> Koenig um but because they all the actors have written Star Trek books at this point yeah um or uh, like air quote written um yeah yeah. uh I uh I I think they wrote a scene where like he gets locked in a bathroom by Khan or something (laughs) like that like and he's like a cadet at the time or something like that right that's the first thing Khan does when he walks on is just locks this random cadet in the bathroom (laughs) Uh oh my name is Pavel Chekhov (laughs) <laughs> I will remember your face. <laughs> I will remember your face and your name. And you remember this. I come from a ship called the Botany Bay. <laughs> I will. I will remember that. <laughs> Great. So um, the uh, the little critters, the infamous yeah, critters. Yes. Awesome. That have scarred, a gen- scarred multiple generations. Yep. Yeah, that moment where Terrell like goes up to the thing, he's like, "What in the world is this?" And it's like sort of poking at the at the cage. Um, it reminds me so much of, especially because of the suits that they're wearing, these like boxy suits. I'm like, "Oh, they're like riffing on Alien yeah. right now a little bit." <laughs> yeah. Like that's totally what's happening here. A little bit. That, I think that. Oh, please. Oh no, go ahead. I was oh, I, I was just I gonna say that... every Star Trek needs a scary scene. I think. Because uh, the, the yeah. motion picture has the transporter incident, and that scared me as a child too. That was so horrifying. That that is an existential nightmare. Yeah. that's not just scary. Yeah. that is. <laughs> I'm gonna remember that, Tim. I'm gonna I'm gonna see if like if if, if a subsequent Trek film a has yeah. a scary scene or is good. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, I can't that, think of one. In, oh yeah. Anyway, 
Go ahead. I, I, I think the scary, I think the, the, the scene Scott just described of the sand and seeing the lump kind of move. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that scared me even more than like the creature as a kid. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, 100%. But the creature is pretty gnarly looking. And uh, yeah. it's, it's animated by uh, Ken Ralston, Tim, uh, okay. an ILM creature uh, guy who just three weeks earlier wrapped working on Return of the Jedi. Awesome. I love it. Dude, I was multiple times I was like, man, the special effects in this movie are so cool. Like it's not a yeah. special e- special effects heavy movie, but like anytime they use them, it they just look cool. Um mm-hmm. even when they look a little wonky, I'm like this is cool. Um uh, the makeup is cool, especially towards the end. Um I don't know. I I was that giant ear is cool. Yeah, the giant uh, ear that they zoom yeah. in. They have to like they have to do a zoom take, yeah. <laughs> zoom cut. Absolutely. <laughs> um. So they so so uh, check off like forces Terrell back into his helmet and like we got to get the hell out of here, uh, and uh, go outside to be met by a bunch of uh of like Khan and and his crew and they're all wearing like masks like sand masks and all this stuff. Um. They come back in. The leader is revealed to be Khan, who Chekhov immediately recognizes um, because he locked him in a bathroom that one time. And um, <laughs> Khan basically explains that you thought you were coming to SETI Alpha 6, but what you don't know is that three months after you abandoned us on SETI Alpha 5, SETI Alpha 6 blew up and exploded and completely destroyed this planet and made it uninhabitable. And the only reason that we're still alive is because we are, uh, you know, eugenicized, eugenified. Um, All about eugenics, uh, this group. And uh, they're like, yeah, we are superior human beings, and so we were able to survive, but we shouldn't have. Uh, and it's been hell, and I've been stuck here for 15 years, and uh, I want to kill you and your your captain, who is now an admiral. A lot of them have um, died. Mm-hmm. Yeah, including Khan's yeah. wife. Yeah, yep. right. Um, uh, uh, what what is uh, her name? Uh, Mag- MacGyver's. Yeah, <laughs> uh, what's her name? I don't remember. Off um, my head. I have. Yeah, it's MacGyver's. I have a few things on this. Uh, mm-hmm. One, uh, Khan is right. Because <laughs> let's assume that, you know, let's assume Chekhov was on the Enterprise and they're going to SETI Alpha 6. Never does he go, oh, maybe we should pop over to SETI Alpha 5 and, like, check on these guys that we marooned 15 years ago. I don't know if anyone's right. doing that, but he doesn't. Right. Two, no. um, where were all of they? Where, where were all the con people? Because they weren't at home, basically. They were all just chilling outside in the sandstorm. Well, I think they were looking for food and stuff. Right? Oh, okay, okay. I mean, I assume yeah. they still have to like go hunt. Um, I guess maybe. Yeah, it must like, be. What the hell are they eating? <laughs> it's just weird that they were all outside of their house when yeah. they all showed up. There's even yeah. uh, this even comes up in an episode of Lower Decks where like yeah like this this idea of Starfleet not being like a, as optimistic and ideal as idealistic as they are, they're not the best at following through on the the changes that they make the choices that they make yeah. right well i mean there's a couple of like i mean a uh, piece of the action um they're going back to check up after a star another starfleet uh ship had been there and the whole reason they're all mafia people is because they actually left a book behind but yeah so they do go back and check on you know sometimes when the plot needs it but sure yeah 
Um, and, and then the other ships. thing is, why is Khan so much older than everybody else? Um, I because they're all his kids. <laughs> you think that's the case? Do you think that's the thing? I I I truly think that that is the case. Okay, um, that would explain yeah, the fierce so. loyalty that like you know the first mate has. So yeah. there's no babies in Space Seed. So, no, I think he slept with all of the women in Space Seed. And okay, these so are their all of these people are fifteen years old. Is what I'm basically. That's what I was getting. I well, but then, but with eugenics, who knows? Okay, okay. You know, like they they might have like hit pu- puberty at like eleven or something. Yeah, and then <laughs> now they're like they're like fifteen, but they look twenty, like they're in their twenties. I'm okay with that. I like that idea. Yeah, um, that's my that's my feeling. Is that most of the crew is gone? now mm-hmm. um that original that original bot wow. bay crew and it's just him and all of his children so the idea of that of like all of these guys being like from cons i don't i almost said, I almost said space seed space seed yeah yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Seed. um it's kind of like the complete antithesis of what gene roddenberry found great about starfleet which is like it's all of these different cultures and all of these different families like individuals and like yeah like tim said a lot of cool moments in this movie are like in addition to kirk being the best his crew each individually being the best of what they do Uh i my other hard sci-fi answer is that because they did not have the resources initially they might have put people back into cryo Mm. to conserve Mm. food and water and everything and just kind of cycled them through to keep mm. the amount of resources they were using down so that everyone but Khan, who's in charge, would age slower. That would be my other thought. Why didn't yeah. Chris Pratt do that in Passengers? Yeah. Just like those, <laughs> what the heck? Wake a few people up at a time. Whatever. <laughs> I think I think if, if I'm not if I'm not mistaken, isn't the issue that he doesn't know how to put them back to go back to sleep? He doesn't know how to like oh, yeah, start he, the he, machine. He's up. just like a he guy. He only knows how to end it. Yeah, he's just a guy. Okay. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah I mean, yeah. he he figures out how to fly a starship pretty quickly, but other than that. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Um, just not saying it's a great movie. Yeah, just... three hundred years <laughs> yeah. in the future. I don't know. This yeah. is I like figuring this stuff out. Sure, sure. Yeah, no, it's fun. Um. But... So so yeah, the the earworms happen. Mm-hmm. Um. <laughs> And uh, the earworms go go into their ears, crawl around on their brain, and make them susceptible to orders by Khan and only Khan for some reason. Like later when Kirk is giving them orders, it doesn't seem to affect them. Um, but but like I guess they can only listen to to Khan um, for some reason. Maybe Khan. Maybe, Khan, maybe they maybe the earworms are like they think of Khan as their daddy oh. because he raised them like pets. There is a part right. where the possessed reliant captain refers to Khan as excellency. Right. And like, is that the bug's consciousness calling him that? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Um, so meanwhile, Kirk arrives back on the Enterprise for, for uh, inspection. And uh, this is when he inspects engineering. Barely. Um, new engineering space. And uh, sees the spot where uh, Spock's going to die later. Mm-hmm. Um, and meet uh, an ensign who's going to die later, mm-hmm. uh, or a cadet. Um, the idea and, being uh, that this is supposed to be like a low stakes training cruise to break in the guppies. Yep. Right. Right. Um, and then let's see. Uh, we have Chekhov 
calling up um, regular one and saying like, hey, we're going to come by and we're going to pick up the Genesis. And they're like, wait, what? Yeah. You can't have the Genesis. That's not. He's like, yeah, no, I don't really. um, I don't really care what you want. Uh, We're the Federation and we're going to do whatever we want. And, uh, and they're like, well, whose orders is this? And he's like, uh, uh, uh. The bug's like, what's the one name Kirk. he knows? Yeah. 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 <laughs> Kirk. Kirk. Like, it, felt, it really felt like he was, like, looking around the room for, like, a name. Like, it, it, was, it took so long for him to say Kirk. All the little SpongeBob's running around at his head. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Have the name. Recent searches. Yeah. So, of course, um, as soon as they're off the call, uh, you know, uh, uh, Khan is standing next to to Chekhov, and Chekhov is like, you know, because you told me to tell them that Kirk said that, they're going to check in with Kirk. And he's like, oh, I know. And so she, like, calls Kirk, and but the the, the, the signal is breaking up, and that's Khan is, like, blocking the signal. Um, Who's stolen Genesis? And, uh, is hoping that Kirk is going to show up. I, l- I think it's so cool, the dynamic of, like, okay, I know this is a team full of rookies. None of you have had a lot of experience, but... Something crazy has happened. You're the crew that I have. We're going on an adventure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. I think um, having Spock have Savick take the ship out, I think it's like, okay, good captain. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, she, I love that moment. Yeah. One, like, shows good leadership that, like, yep, there's a first time for everything. She doesn't know what to do. But also for her, she's got her confidence shaken up because she feels like she just failed this big test. And so mm-hmm. to have her be like, no, we still have the confidence in you, like, take this ship out. Like, I don't know. I love right. that. Yeah. It, it speaks to Spock's quality as a captain, like, independent of Kirk, you know? Right. Uh-huh. Um, mm-hmm. And it's, like, a cool moment because, like, he kind of spooks Kirk and Bones. Right. We're like, whoa, wait, you're just going to let him, like, she's like, yeah, yeah, she's good. She's having, She can do this. She's fine. Yeah. I mean, and really, all she has to do is say, Sulu, do the thing. And Sulu does the <laughs> right, thing, but you know it's <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, as long as she doesn't say uh, Sulu uh, hard right. Yeah, um, like, I think <laughs> okay. everything's gonna be fine. <laughs> Are you sure, Captain? <laughs> <laughs> you know, Scott mentioned like yeah, like Spock is significantly warmer in this one than he was in motion picture, and. That's so vital because, like, yeah, if he was kind of the same dude as he was in TMP, Kirk's line about his soul being the most human, I don't think it would hit the same. Mm-hmm. Right. I agree. Um, yeah, so this is the scene where where the, this is the linchpin scene of the of the whole movie um, where uh, Kirk visits Spock and they talk about, um, you know, Kirk commandeering the Enterprise and, and uh, they have this really fun friendly uh debate uh this little banter where he's like i really think you should keep command and spock is like i i don't i don't need it it's fine you can have it and then like like, they're just trying to like out polite each other about like (laughs) who should be in command of the enterprise right now it's so so great i love that um but uh but yeah this is this is that scene um tim you want to talk about that a little bit um yeah it's just it 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 does a good job of setting up where everyone is kind of, but also where everyone's going to go. I just, I, you know, first of all, it's Spock saying, you know, Hey, I don't have an ego. This is, (laughs) you know, I'm not, I'm not human. You're the ones, you guys are the ones with the ego. So that's, 
you know, both talking about both Kirk and I'm sorry, not it's talking about both Kirk and Khan, uh, mm-hmm. you know, indirectly there. Um, and then it is also talking about where, like, uh, what Nick was saying earlier about where, um, Kirk is as a character. Like, he's taken this admiral position. He maybe shouldn't have taken the admiral position. This isn't where his heart is. Um, right. and as he says at the beginning of the scene to each according to his ability, you know, so this is what Kirk does. This is his thing. Um, and then of course you get the first use of the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. Um, it's just, or, and the one, well, Kirk says, and the one or or the one, right? right? So it's, um, it just does so much in like four or five lines of dialogue. Like, yeah. it's just such, it just sets up everything. It's the foundation of everything. It's where we're going. And mm-hmm. it's just without this scene, it, it, the, the movie is like, kind of like, okay, I kind of get it. But this is just like, no, 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 guys, this is the outline. This is the outline at the beginning. Like, let's I let's work where we're going. I truly believe that every movie needs a linchpin scene like yes. this. Agreed. Um, and if you don't have one, then your movie isn't ready. Um, I, I like that's that's my that's my feeling. It's like and that that linchpin it can mean a lot of different things for a lot of different types of movies and types of genres and things like that. But I I love a a sort of statement of intent scene. Agreed. And that's that's what this is. And it's it reminds me a lot of the scene in Cloverfield when they're um on the balcony during the party and they're like. They're like talking about like we just found out that his girlfriend is leaving town um, and all these things and he's just going to let her go. But like he's like, no, no, no. Like if you want her to stay, you got to talk to her or whatever. And then he says this line where he goes, he goes um, like sometimes, you know, uh, uh, like the most like the 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 thing that matters the most is like um, it's like holding the people that you love close. Like, that's the thing that matters the most. And then in that moment, the moment he says that, which is like the whole theme of the movie is like, fuck the world. Hold on to the people that you that you need to you know hold on to the people that you love. As soon as he says that the lights go out and Cloverfield monster roars for the first time. Right. And it's just like, oh, okay, that's what the whole it's like. It's like the whole movie is not about the Cloverfield monster. The whole movie is about him getting to his girlfriend who is across town. Yeah. Um, and saving her, exactly. you know, and being with her in that moment. And like, those are the scenes that I think I think about forever. Mm-hmm. You know, like I could just think about like, oh, my God, I can't believe they did that. And that is one of these that is one of these th- scenes. And That's... I just think having a thematic linchpin scene like this is just so, so important for like the overall structure of your movie. Um, I think it's what makes this movie such a steel drum. I, I 100 percent agree with you. Scott, the other scene that I think of is in Rocky. Um, and I believe they had to go back and shoot the scene because I don't think it was in the original and they're like, something's missing. But they literally have a scene where he's talking to Adrian and he's just like, I just want to go the full rounds. Like, as long as I can go the full rounds, then I think I'm I'm something. I don't remember mm-hmm. the exact lines, but it's like that wasn't in the original movie. And they're like, this is missing something. And it's like, like you said, the statement of intent. It's like, this is what we're mm-hmm. trying to do. So with that being said, what do you think? like this scene reveals to us about uh, like Kirk as a, as a character and like where he's at. I think I, I mentioned like, just like, no, he's, 
almost like you said, is like he's going through the motions. Oh, I'm supposed to, I'm mm-hmm. going to be a captain for a little bit, and then I'm going to be admiral, and then, you know, I'll probably go up into even higher brass. You know, I'm going through the path. But it's like, no, your path is who you are. That's what you're supposed to do. And yeah. I think that's kind of what, what Spock's telling him here. He has this interesting phrase where he's like, yeah, like you were made to be on the deck of a ship. And he, anything less than that would be a waste of material. And right. It, it's so quintessentially Spock because it's somehow an incredibly intimate, kind statement from coming from a friend, but also kind of like taking the schmaltz out of it of like, right. it's illogical. It would be a waste of material. You're James T. Kirk. You belong on a spaceship right. because that's where you'd be the most optimized. Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. Right. And then, and then the, the, um, the whole statement of like the needs of the of of the many outweigh the needs of the few, and then Kirk saying or the one, um, all of that is like really great because you have this this whole movie right is juxtaposing Kirk with Khan the whole movie, mm-hmm. right? And then in the big moment later in the movie that switches to Spock and Khan because Khan many times is told we can just leave. We have everything we need. We can just go. Needs of the many, right? Mm-hmm. We can just go. But he's like, no, needs of me, needs of the one. I need my revenge. And he brings his entire culture down, extinct. The, the enti- his entire eugenics culture is completely extinct because of his decisions in this movie, because he didn't put the needs of the many in front of the needs of the few. That's why he's a bad leader. Um, and why Spock ultimately is an incredible leader and why everyone sort of like in the enterprise crew are great leaders and go on to become captains of their own starships Mm -hmm. in the future. Um, you know, and, and yeah, so it's just, it's really interesting how this, this scene Mm -hmm. and that phrasing, um, becomes so important because that's the thing that Khan can't see. Everything for him is about strategy and outthinking your opponent. And he never takes into consideration. This is not the right, Thing, the right move if I want my people to survive. He doesn't care about his people. He wants his revenge. Right. And if yeah. you've been watching the show, like growing, you know, since the 60s or, or, you know, whatever, is you know that through his friendship with Kirk, Spock learned to like let like his heart kind of guide some of the time. And like when he makes that decision, it is, it is, it's like perfect because it is logical. <laughs> And it is like, you know, the, yes. needs the many outweighing the needs of the few, but it's also an act of like, oh, I have to protect my friend Kirk. Like I have to protect my crew, yeah. the crew of the Enterprise. Mm-hmm. Right. Because logically, if, if you're just speaking logically, he should order a cadet to do it. <laughs> right. You know, of, like, yeah. you, right. Like if you're just talking pure logic, mm-hmm. he is a science officer with 20, 25 years of experience he is not the one who should be doing this, who should be making this sacrifice if you're talking about logic. But that's the whole thing is like, regardless of what he says about logic, it is not logical. Mm-hmm. It is an emotional choice of like, I know that I can fix this. And so I'm going to go do it, even though he could order someone else to do it. I mean, they wouldn't because right. and you're ordering someone to their death. In defense but, you know. of the motion picture. Uh, mm-hmm. that Spock's arc in that movie is all about him being like, oh, wait, I'm actually not going to do the thing where I purge myself of all emotion because I see mm-hmm. now that's how you become Vidger. And right. I'm something else. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
Anyway, it's a good movie, guys. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You guys should watch Great. it. Um. Just an awesome scene. Just, I just, you know, that scene is, I believe, about two minutes long. Mm-hmm. And it's just, man, you finish that scene, you're like, that was perfect. That was a great scene. Yeah. Yep. It was, it's an incredible scene, especially the more times you watch this movie, the more it stands out as like the best scene of the movie. Right. Um, it's kind of crazy. Um, so then we get a little bit of a, we get a, a, a Genesis pitch video that works as like great exposition. Mm-hmm. More than a Genesis pitch video, Scott, this was also an ILM pitch video. Oh, Ooh. so this is the first sequence in a motion picture to be entirely comprised of digital effects. Wow. And um, ILM kind of jockeyed for this job. Uh, they also constructed the nebula that, that uh, the Reliant and the Enterprise are like fighting in at the end of the movie. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. But there's actually a really cool uh, sequence about this in the uh, Disney Plus documentary series Light and Magic about ILM. But um, mm-hmm. they were like, oh, man, like like they were planning on doing like a combination of practical. But they're like, no, I think if we designed this like digitally and showed it to the filmmakers, we could show them like they don't even know the computers can do this, you know. Right. So right. they designed the sequence. They show it to Meyer and company and they're like, whoa, oh, my God. Like. <laughs> this, this is the future of filmmaking and yeah <laughs> it's pretty cool because i don't know if star trek was on the cutting edge of effects back in tv or just like doing what they could they no they were because they had to sh- they 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 had to shoot everything out of order because the visual effects heavy stuff they had to sh- shoot earlier and then it would be released later mm-hmm. because a TV show with that kind of special effects had never been done before on on primetime television. Nice. It's it's cool yeah. to see the con- the con- then the tradition continuing in Star Trek as like a film mm-hmm. franchise. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and then we get another really great scene that is going back to what you were talking about, Nick. The sort of triangle mentality of mm-hmm. you know a uh, uh, Kirk having to listen to Spock and McCoy debate whether or not the Genesis project is a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. The morality of it. Uh, Tim mentioned earlier, like, like Bones gets really upset. He, get, he yeah, gets yeah. really upset set really quickly. Like I felt it was mm-hmm. almost like too much. Like, for, <laughs> like, okay, you can't see any benefit to what this is, <laughs> what this could possibly do for, you know, like I could understand being cautious and being like, oh yeah, like, this in the wrong hands he's like whose hands is it should it be and it's like you know people who want to shoot it at dead planets like you know like those (laughs) those hands are good (laughs) but but i do but i do see his perspective because like one of the you know the the tenements of of uh the federation is the prime directive which is like we don't get involved in in stuff that we shouldn't be involved in like we can't change another planet's history and like does that exclude dead planets you know and and also like in terms of that what is what are the ram the the ultimate random ramifications of this because if it's a dead planet like say you shot this thing at pluto what would happen after like okay so it would build the planet and then what it's pluto it's nowhere near a sun you know Um, what happened to that i don't know Right, right. What would happen to that life? So, like, what's the? It's so it's just interesting. It's an interesting sort of philosophical conversation to have, and I and I like that it's here and it's very Star Trek. Uh, and yeah, yeah, like we do. It is like vintage Bones and Spock 
and Kirk just like listening to them both and kind of like musing. Um, yeah, but I agree to like whenever, like you know, Bones is mad when he brings up the like the green blood, and like yeah, when he starts getting racist. Yeah, almost yeah. gets a little racist about it. <laughs> yeah, and Spock just mm-hmm. has to cock the eyebrow like that was a little racist. Yeah, but that was—he's been a little racist. That's Bones feels like he can get away with it with Spock. He's like, ah, some of my best friends are Vulcans. He's my best friend. (laughs) That's how we talk. Like the one I'm being racist to right now. Right now, (laughs) he knows it's fine. (laughs) (laughs) Um. So at this point, the Enterprise sort of meets up with the Reliant in space. And they just are, like, sizing each other up, which is, like, a really fun, tense scene because we know that Khan has control of the Reliant, um, but the Enterprise doesn't know. So they're just, like, our, they're our friend, but they're acting weird. And so it's just I love this sort of, like, unsureness of this interaction. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, a, it's a lot of fun. But, uh, but yeah, the Reliant gets them because they don't, they don't get their shields up in time and. Yeah, I don't yeah. know that that how how often has that ever happened up to this point on on Star Trek the original series a ship getting hit without their shields up. I feel like this might even be a first. Like, like oh, this is the damage it would do head. if we didn't have yeah if we didn't have our shields up. This is the damage that like a photon torpedo and a and a phaser would do. Chris will know. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. I bet Chris, Chris will let us. It's know. classic. It's like you know, thriller. Like the tension of it is so cool because it's like unease, and then it escalates, 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 and then there is that final like release explosion where the Enterprise gets like you know hit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's um, it's really good, and uh, and then Khan calls up the Enterprise and is like, "Well, well, well." <laughs> yeah. Bet you isn't my old friend. <laughs> I don't. Yeah, I yeah. I, I think it's funny that yeah. I, I I. It's just a great revenge story, and yeah. I don't know. He's I think so the surprised. fact that Khan knows Moby Dick clearly, mm-hmm. like he should know the dangers of this, but whatever. It's a great detail back in Botany Bay of like you know when Chekhov is exploring, you see like the copy of Moby Dick. And mm-hmm. it like, you're like, oh, yeah, I, I can imagine Khan for 15 years just going back to this book and memorizing it because he's so moved by, like, the story. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think you also see a copy of um, the – is it – it's it's not – no, Mel, Melville is um, – Moby Dick. Is Moby Dick. Who uh, – wh- who's the one that – Paradise Lost, right? Um, who's that right? Oh, Milton. Who wrote – Yeah. Milton. Yeah, you see that, which is a reference to Space Seed, where um, when uh, when when Kirk is uh, explaining, like, "Hey, you can go to prison. We'll send you to prison," or there's this dead planet here, and you can go here, and you can like start your penal colony just like Australia, mm-hmm. um, if you if you think you're if you think you're man enough, if you think you're strong <laughs> enough, and uh, and Khan says, um, "Have you have you read uh, have you ever read Milton?" And he was like, okay, I got you. I understand. And so he sends him off. And then Scotty's like, you know, uh, I haven't read any Milton, so I don't know what that was all about. Yeah. And he was like, yeah. So in Paradise Lost, there's this quote where uh, they say, rather, like, better to rule in hell 
than serve in heaven. And that so that book being on the Botany Bay is like a really nice touch. Yeah, I think I love that. Yeah. So it was ultimately Khan's decision. Yes, he had a choice. He had a choice. But I think he's he's also correct in that Kirk really should have checked in every once in a while. Yes. I mean, Even honestly, once. if he had checked in every once in a while, I feel like I feel like they probably would have become friends. Like, that's the thing. Like, that's mm-hmm. the crazy thing. It's like, I literally think Khan would be like, like, if if that other planet hadn't exploded and destroyed the planet, sure. um, if, if everything was fine and he was, like, building up his penal colony, if, if Kirk just checked in, like, every few years, Khan would probably be like, hey, like, I'm doing great. I'm free here. You know, like, we've got this whole thing. I'm, I've got, like, seven wives. It's pretty great. I don't know. <laughs> I think th- every time Kirk came over, though, he would definitely try to steal the the Enterprise. Uh, <laughs> oh, for sure, yeah, for but sure. It's just like for sure, it's part of it. It's part. Yeah, it was just it would just be yeah, it would just be part of like a little game that they play with yeah. each other. Yeah, um, but it didn't even have to be Kirk. It could be literally anything of Starfleet. Just hey, yeah, send a ship here every now and then. You know, yeah. There's another there's another world where Khan could have been like Kirk's Q. In terms of like a character that just kept popping up, mm-hmm. you know, throughout yeah. Star Trek's run. If Star Trek had like gone longer, I think that that there's there's a world where like Ricardo Montalban could have just like popped up every once in a while. And we're like, I'm back. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I, yeah. And I think, yeah, I think that would have been good, especially if it was just and even in this movie, I think if there was just a line where it's just like. We definitely said there were a bunch. We we said people were supposed to check up once a year. I don't know what happened, and they could, you know, just like a line, like an aside, mm-hmm. like, "Oh no, I did tell people to go check on that," you know. Yeah. Um. But yeah, just just didn't do it myself. Yeah. Um. So, uh, uh, Kurt comes up with this plan to basically hack the Reliant, um, and turn down the shields, and uh, and and so they sort of like um. Because Khan wants both Kirk as his prisoner and also the Genesis device. He's like, if you can get me those two things, um, then, you know, we'll we'll let the ship go and, and we'll be on our way. And uh, and so instead of Kirk doing either of those things, he's like, can we just hack the Reliant, turn off their shields and shoot those, that thing out of the sky? <laughs> and they're like, yeah. And so they just do that. It's it's great because it's like, you know, Kirk playing to the top of his intelligence and mm-hmm. it's funny, you know, you mentioned Star Trek having a crossover with Mission Impossible. And yeah, like that's something I, I have. I've never seen an episode of Mission Impossible, but like in the movie franchise, I love those movies because it's always like these smart spies coming up with a solution to an impossible problem. Mm-hmm. Right. And like, that's so fun for an audience. I'm interested to see if if Star Trek Into Darkness remembers that because Mm-hmm. I think it's what keeps this movie from feeling like empty spectacle is. Yeah. You're like, oh, that that son of a bitch, Kirk, he figured it. He found a way to do it. You know? Right, mm-hmm. right, right. I don't believe Absolutely. in no win scenarios. Yeah. Right. Um. So, uh, yeah. So in the uh, in the shootout, um, the engineering cadet we met earlier uh, dies in a really sad scene where um, he was like. He was like, can I, can I, what does he say? He's like, can I leave Doc, sir? Or something like that. And he's like, yeah, Warp Factor 5. And then he just dies. <laughs> I'm just like, Jesus Christ. 
at Scotty's like, 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 yeah, go ahead and die, but make it quick. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Do it. Don't don't mess around. Let's just yeah. <laughs> and, oh, and Scotty's man. like he never um, left his post. Yeah. Like, oh man. Scotty really loved this kid. <laughs> um, he was really into him. Yeah, and uh, very this upset. His nephew. I had I had the thought of like Scotty's going to right. talk about this kid for the rest of his career. Yep. Uh huh. And it's you, gonna be a, a it's gonna be a more a, a, like wild story every time he tells it in Scotty tradition. He was right. clinging to the post with the space it, was hurtling out. <laughs> apple of my eye, this one. <laughs> Just like his uncle. Like would have been Admiral. <laughs> yeah, would have been exactly every time he tells the story. <laughs> Poor dude. So then uh Kirk McCoy and Savik beam onto the regular one um to figure out what the situation is over there because they like try checking in and there's no communications. So they go over there and they're like wandering around and uh, that's when they see dead bodies hanging from the ceiling, um, which honestly is like a scene out of Serenity. Yeah. So then Star Trek. But I was, I was going to um, say more of your alien, uh, you know, taking yeah, a little bit for out, sure. out of alien wandering around. That Absolutely. It kind of lends to what we were what, what we were talking about earlier. The idea that like Khan is so much more barbaric than mm-hmm. any person in this new, you know, 23rd century. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, we find out that they tortured everybody because they find uh, Chekhov and Terrell um, hiding in a in a in a I don't know some kind of thing. They're in something. It's a, it's I don't a know hiding box. <laughs> it's a hiding box. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, Starfleet hiding enough. box. Um, yeah. Yeah. Regulation. Uh, it's, it, yeah. Regulation <laughs> hiding box. Yeah. Um, and uh, uh, they pop out, and Chekhov is like a really good actor. Um, and saying like, oh yeah, like I'm totally fine and he's really scary and all of this was scary. And Terrell just has a faraway look in his eye the entire time. Just never. Yeah. Not, not good at acting. They would not have recommended him for the Kobayashi Maru. No. <laughs> I will say though, in their, in their defense, I completely forgot about the heel turn, the like them, but you know, still being under the influence of the worm. Yeah, and like I was like, oh yeah, they're they're shaken up because they have those worms in their brains. Oh right, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um, speaking of the Kobayashi, not to go all the way back to the beginning of the movie, <laughs> but the the do you think they were only did that because this was their fleet that they were trying to get ready, and it's just like, oh, we'll we'll just have the people who are going to be on the bridge anyway. Yeah, it could be. So maybe he would, you know, if he was bringing on a new thing, maybe he would be in the Kobe Mashimaru uh, acting yeah. class or whatever. Mm. But, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, the fielder method. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Man, I love their, the so... idea of there being a whole class to get you ready for being a Kobe Mashimaru actor. I know. It's uh-huh. so good. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, that's where they get all of their, like, Shakespeare references and stuff. Exactly. They They're all like... <laughs> They learn them all in, in Starfleet drama class. <laughs> um, Canon. So, um, so yeah, so Chekhov and Terrell, they tell them that, like, oh, yeah, he tortured this whole crew, and none of them had any information, and um, it really sucked. And then they, they go over to um, the – they're like, okay, this is not – the whole crew is not accounted for. Um, there's people missing. Uh, so let's go over to the transporter and see if they went anywhere and they find that they went to the middle of a planet. Um, there is a dead planet that this is 
like sort of parked outside of in orbit of and they they transported to the middle of it and they're like that what <laughs> that's bizarre um and uh and so they're like okay well uh if they went there then that must be something so they they all beam down there the whole crew <laughs> and they find uh they find David and uh, and Carol um David immediately attacks them and then upon it's being like thrown off of Kirk by Kirk because obviously Kirk is bigger and stronger than youthful um, yeah. David. Um, he both he simultaneously figures out puts together that David is his son at the same time as Terrell and Chekhov pull phasers on them. Um, it like all happens <laughs> in like I literally like seven seconds of screen time. Uh, it is so crazy. I, and I, it's been a while since I've watched the motion picture. But is this mm-hmm. the first like Kirk, uh, Kirk uh, fighting style that we have gotten in the movies, like right here? Yeah, because he doesn't do it in the motion picture, right? But it's, I don't think he. No, I don't think he grapples with anybody. Yeah, no, there's no action. But it's whatsoever. it's classic <laughs> Kirk, uh, Kirk Jitsu. Um, oh yeah, yeah, I love I love it. Absolutely, that would have been great if, um, if Voyager if Vidger had like grown two arms and Kirk had to like you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like to like fight it. Hell yeah. Um so the double the uh, double fisted back hit. <laughs> the, of yeah. course, yeah. <laughs> That's the best. Um so so Terrell uh talks to Khan. Um he's had him like secretly listening in this whole time. Um and uh and he tells him the um where the Genesis device is so that he can transport it onto the onto the Reliant, um and then he shoots one of their crew members um, and kills him, just like evaporates him because uh, he's got the kill function on the phaser. And uh, and then he's ordered by Khan to kill Kirk. But Kirk is just, he's too pure for this world and too good. And Terrell is like, I can't bring myself. T- I could kill that random, <laughs> that <laughs> random cadet or whatever, but I can't, yeah. can't bring myself to kill Kirk. He's, He's too important. He's too much of a of an important man. And then he he turns the gun on himself and kills himself instead. Um, and then the result of Terrell killing himself causes the earworm and Chekhov to come out of Chekhov. And I don't I don't know why though. It's sad because it lost its brother. And maybe they're okay. like more psychically linked than we'd think. They must be some sort of like connected psychically. I would think because yeah, there's definitely a lot of like mind control stuff going on, and and like you mentioned with Khan specifically, um, but yeah, it's definitely like its brother or its sibling died basically. Oh, Mario! Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Mario! <laughs> uh. Um, no, Waluigi! Khan <laughs> uh. <laughs> named the um. Mario and Waluigi. <laughs> <laughs> and uh and then and then um who is it that shoots the other the the brain slug that comes out of Chekhov? Oh, Kirk. Does. Is it Kirk? It's Kirk. It, it is super Kirk. dangerous. Yeah. Dude, step on it, man. Like <laughs> yeah. Chekhov's head's right there. I was like yeah, crazy. <laughs> crazy. Um but uh uh yeah, so now uh, Chekhov is I mean, he's passed out, but mm. like presumably back to normal. Um and uh he'll never be the same. And uh Khan beams up the Genesis device um, because earlier Kirk called um, Spock and Spock was like, yeah, no, it's going to take two days 
to fix the ship. Um, and even then, I don't know. And uh, it'll probably be like a couple weeks. He's like, okay, well, if we're not, if I don't, you don't hear from us in an hour, you know, leave. Just just get out of here. Yeah. And, uh, and, and Khan heard that and was like, great. So I'll jam their signal for an hour so that they leave and abandon them like we were abandoned. Um, and you'll just be in this lifeless husk of a planet. And you'll just alive. be doomed to be there forever. LOL. Um, and, uh, and, <laughs> and I love that moment where he's like, he's like, so is anybody hungry? And they're like, how can you eat like a time in a time like this? And Carol's like, I, we, we've got so much food. I mean, it's just, it's, it's right over there. It's, it, he, he made this big gesture. Like you guys were abandoned here, but like, we can live here forever. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's fine. Um, and they go into this room where like, it, it's like the core of this planet and it's just been completely like terraformed. Genesis. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, terraform. Um, and you know, I, I, I don't think I've ever noticed this before, but so we learn later that this is all uh, a gambit, a caprice of Kirk's design, right? So, mm-hmm. does that mean retroactively that the the con yell is yes. Kirk playing a character and laying it on kind of thick? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I yeah, that con yell, one of the most ridiculous parts of this movie. Mm-hmm. Kanye West. <laughs> yeah, but it's become more ridiculous in pop culture, I think. Sure. Because like it's always less intense than I think it's going to be Maybe. based on like how pop culture references it all I the just, time. Even watching it, it's like it echoes around the outside of the planet, but they're inside of the planet. Yeah. So it's like, what is it echoing off of? It's not, I don't know. It doesn't make any sense. It's just, I don't know. <laughs> it's almost kind of like when Cameron and Paris Bueller notices that like the speedometer. Yeah. <laughs> Is that why he yells? What happens? Why does he yell? I haven't seen the movie in a while. Yeah. Well, the, the, the mileage is super mileage. High. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The, but yeah. Yeah. Um, there's a scene. Um, I don't know if we're, I don't know. Stop me if we're jumping ahead, but the, where they're talking, where Kirk and Carol are talking about mm-hmm. like everything and they're catching up. Um, yeah, that was the next thing I was going to bring up was that scene. Um, Kirk and Carol. That's so gross when you say it like that. I know. Well, sorry, James well, and it's, Carol. Well, it's, yeah, it's technically James and Carol. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's Kirk, Kirk and Marcus. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, uh, yeah, it's a scene I don't care about. Um, that the The whole thing with like, like you told me not to get involved, so I didn't get involved. And I'm just like thinking about the fact that like he's saying that as if it happened like five years ago, but like mm. it happened like pre the original series, right? Like it happened like like Starfleet Academy days, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I guess the idea was that she just let him be free as a bird because like, Oh, you have all these plans to join Starfleet and do all these great things. And I'm not going to hold you back by like making you be the father to your child. I, I just, I hate it. I hate yeah. all of this. Not, not a fan, not a fan. Unnecessary. It's I very, think. it's very silly. Uh, but my favorite thing about this whole scene is it's very serious to talking about like very personal things to, to Kirk. Uh, meanwhile, Chekhov is very clearly still like conscious because he's holding like an ice pack on his face, or, and he's literally laying in the back of the scene the entire time. And it's almost like 
they forgot that Chekhov was there, and he's just like, I'm going to mm-hmm. pretend I'm asleep. Oh, oh but... man, I sure didn't see hitting <laughs> any like, of this. this is so awkward. <laughs> Captain, as a kid, <laughs> I'm the first to find out about it. Oh, man. <laughs> this is so weird. I'm just going to pretend I'm... I don't notice anything. It's fine. <laughs> um, this is the scene where we get the, the setup uh, to the payoff of Kirk feeling young again, because Carol's like, how do you feel, Jim? And he's like, old. Mm-hmm. I feel old. Yeah. Like, well, let me let me show you some shit that'll make you feel young again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah. They go in there, and then uh, and then once again, Savic just can't help herself, and it's just like, no, but seriously, how did you beat the Kobayashi Maru? I want to know. You're not supposed to be able to beat it. And then uh, and then it's McCoy that's like, he fucking reprogrammed the thing. I yeah. he just. He reprogrammed it, changed the parameters of the test so that he could win it. And she's like, well, that's just cheating. And he, yeah, he's yeah. like, no, it's reprogramming. And, you know, and you mentioned the parameters of the test. And Scott, you mentioned how like, you know, Savic, it works. They, they even they pull off the impossible. You kind of buy Savic as like this new Spock because she totally sees through the Kirk of it all. And is like, wait, that means you never got to experience what the test is for. Like, you don't know what it's like to experience death. You've just cheated death. And like, I just think that's such a cool moment of her to like notice that. Yeah. And like see that. And yeah. then like, oh gosh, yeah, she could really could have been like a cool character going forward. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and she probably would have continued to be if, if Spock had stayed dead. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, and uh, just a classic. Yeah, and then, and then there's this really great moment too, where he's like, where he says, she says that. And then he's like, um, I don't believe in no win scenarios, and he takes a bite out of an apple, and I'm like, that's just like in the Kobayashi Maru test in the 09 Star Trek. He's eating yep. an apple when he's when he's playing it. Yep. And I was like, oh wow, that's such a good reference to this scene, <laughs> this very specific scene in this movie. Um. So yeah, I love that. It's uh, it's almost like a Doctor um, Who kind of moment where it's like you know the people in charge of the new version loving the old version enough to notice these tiny little details and like connect them. Yeah. Yeah. Um so um the Spock and Kirk conversation that they had earlier was for Khan. Yeah. Everything was fine. Um and they were they were using uh days for hours um in their in their conversation. It's another and badass so mission Kirk, impossible moment. Yeah, yeah. And so Kirk knew that he just meant 2 hours and then but he but but uh Spock was like but I but it's not a hundred percent. I mean, that's that's part of the problem. Like I said that, and I did mean that. That was true. Yeah. Um, just the, you know, the days the days were hours. But they they get them back on board, and then they um they uh they like show up next to Khan, and then Kirk sort of like goads him into following them into the nebula, um, because he knows that he can't really like warp out of there. Um, it's still too damaged, mm-hmm. and uh, and so yeah. They and and the shields are non the shields but, but shields are non functioning in the nebula mm-hmm. and so they're hoping to take that to their advantage and like like Tim said the first mate absolutely is like this will kill us we shouldn't do this and like mm-hmm. if Khan had listened to him he could have he could have survived yep yep um so yeah then the, we get this like cool submarine sequence between the Reliant and the Enterprise like sort of taking blind shots at each other because. Their targeting systems don't really work anymore. 
um, and and their shields are down, and so they're just sort of battle playing battleship with each other um, and and blind firing, and it's uh, it's a lot of fun. It's a really great sequence. Love it. Uh, yeah. There's the. Um, I actually reminded my mom uh, of this because they're talking about. They said he only thinks on. I can't remember exactly what it was, but it reminded two, me two of, dimensions in two dimensions. So it reminded me of yeah. Ender's Game. Where they mm. had to like train to fight in zero gravity and use three dimension battle space, and so like literally the Enterprise beats uh, Khan literally just by going down because he would have thought, right? You know, nineteen ninety six, he would have thought only on fighting on land, uh, which right, yeah. Right. I, I love the way Spock um, words it of like he is intelligent, but he's inexperienced. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and yeah, but they do both get some good shots in Mm -hmm. and one of the shots that the Reliant lands on in the enterprise, uh, causes, uh, the sort of like warp engine to start leaking radiation all through engineering, um, which obviously big problem. And, uh, and, and the enterprise finally sneaks up behind the Reliant and gets like torpedoes and, and gets, gets them real good. Um, and like just completely damaged. I think Khan's entire crew is dead except for him at this point. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and he gets on a call with, uh, with Kirk and he's like, I got one last weapon for you. I know you can't warp out of here, but I can turn this Genesis thing on. And, and Kirk is like, Hey, so he turns to David and it's like, Hey, so, um, <laughs> if the, 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 the Genesis wave hits us, what would happen? He's like, Oh, we're toast. <laughs> it's just like, oh, okay. We got to get out of here. Um, and uh, I don't know how we're going to do that. And Spock is just sort of overhearing all of this and puts together a plan and then just gets up and goes without anyone noticing that he's gone. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, a logical. And then we get maybe. a really, yep. Yeah. We get a really great sequence uh, where he sort of has to trick everyone into letting him in the radiation in, in the radiation room um, to fix the warp drive. And, uh, you know, McCoy tries to stop him, but uh, he, he Vulcan Vulcan pinches him and uh, gives him the remember thing. I wonder um, if one fanboy, in spite of the tension of the scene in, in 1981, is able to be like, oh, the Vulcan neck pinch. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, well, I think he'd certainly. already done one. He'd already done one earlier. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, but uh, but yeah, um, good R- stuff. R- real quick, I just want to say one of the things I loved about the the space battle part of this was every shot was very like precise. Like it wasn't just like mm-hmm. oh we shot it and then it hit the other thing. It was like this one's hitting the bridge and this one's hitting. The weapon systems and this one's yeah. hitting like they were very clear about what everything was hitting. Oh, this one's blowing up the engines. You know, now it's you know it's, yeah. it was very uh, like the attention to detail of like this is what's happening in this fight and it was very clearly portrayed to the mm-hmm. audience. Yeah, like yeah. Oh, you know what, Nick? I realizing that I'm remembering Spock doing the Vulcan neck patch in Space Seed because I watched it immediately before. This. <laughs> oh, so that's he. He, yeah, so this was the only uh, Vulcan neck pinch in the movie. I think I'm um, going to watch Space Seed right before we do Into Darkness. Oh, that's a good go. call. That's a good call. Um, so, uh, 
yeah. So he uh, he he gives him uh, you know remember and all that, and then he gets <laughs> in there, and he's basically got three minutes to get the the warp drive back online, so they can warp out of there before the Genesis wave hits them. Um, but yeah, he succeeds, and uh, and they get away, and the Genesis activates, and they're like, "Wow, cool! Look at that thing." Um, and then Kirk is like, "Hey, where's my uh, where's my buddy? Where's my friend?" And uh, and then that's when Scotty calls and is like, "Hey, you should probably get down here." Um, is it Scotty or McCoy that calls? I, I it think it's McCoy. Maybe it mm. is McCoy. Yeah. I think I was just thinking Scotty because McCoy was unconscious. Um, <laughs> yeah. And yeah, but you're right. All he yeah. has to do is see the empty seat, and he's like, "Oh yeah. no, yeah. oh!" I then he puts it together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. of like, "Oh, that's what he did." Okay. Um, and then he goes down there, and we get. A uh, really sad scene um, of of uh, friends sort of um, saying goodbye to each other. Uh, but it is interesting the fact that, like, Kirk treats Spock like he's the most important person in his life and vice versa. You know, whereas, like, everyone is like, stand back. Kirk needs to talk to Spock. Yeah. Well, the, <laughs> yeah. some of the extras uh, on the engineering crew do not show any, like attention to anybody else in the scene like that they don't even look at kirk really kirk just walks right by them they're all just kind of staring straight ahead which i thought was interesting yeah um, also did you guys notice that and i don't know if i was just looking too much into this but uh nimoy plays it that he's blind because of the radiation does that did that mm-hmm. seem likely wow. to you like he couldn't look at kirk yeah he was looking yeah. kind of looking yeah, I thought that was really cool. Like, I was like, of course he would be. Like, yeah, he wouldn't be able that. to. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I definitely noticed that. I also love the detail of when he first calls into him after he, like, figures out he has to push the button to, like, m- make his voice heard. Yeah. And he's like, Spock! And then you see Spock, like, sort of struggle to stand up. And then he straightens out his uniform before facing his captain. Yeah. Um, Which is just, like... The saddest shit ever, and just yeah. like the most Spock thing in the world, um, it's the best. I love it. Mm-hmm. Now, I mean, this is like but, one uh, of the iconic scenes in like you know sci-fi movie history. Yep, a hundred percent. Absolutely, it's always it, it it's always a shorter scene than I remember it though. Mm. Um, in my mind, it goes on for a while, but really, they only say like three things to each other, and then Spock dies. Um, but, uh, but yeah, yeah, that was another thing that we didn't reference, um, in that same linchpin scene. Not only do they set up, um, uh, the needs of the, the, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few or the one, but they also set up, I have always, and will always be your friend friend. like that, that whole thing. Yeah. 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 Um, those are both in that same linchpin scene, which is nuts. Yeah. Um, but, uh, Uh, they both play it beautifully. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, like, it's like, you know, even knowing that there's like, you know, five movies after these, it's still like a very emotionally affecting <clears throat> scene. Yeah. And it, it feels like the last time that neither Leonard Nimoy nor William Shatner's ego got in the way of their performances with each other. Like, cause after this, I feel like it's, it's like. Shatner's doing three and four begrudgingly because he's like, well, I want to direct, you know, and then like, 
five happens and Nimoy's doing it begrudgingly because he's like, well, I did direct twice, I guess, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Um, it gets a little Rock Vin Diesel after this. It does, a little bit, a little bit. Um, I think it all comes around in the sixth one when neither of them are directing, but uh, yeah. Nick Meyer. Um, So yeah. It is it is it's just a really good scene between two actors who have known each other for a long time. Um it's really good. It's really, really good. Yeah. Incredible um scene. and then the funeral. Also a really great scene. Mm-hmm. I will never understand why Kirk believes that calling Spock human would be something the most human would be something that Spock would like. Yeah. <laughs> would, would, would like to be his legacy. I don't know why. Like, I like it's a it's a it's a heartwarming scene. and It's like sad. and like he breaks before he can say it, you know, but also like in the context of like knowing this character for so long, I feel like that's the last thing he would have wanted his legacy to be of like being the most human soul that Kirk has ever encountered. But uh, I don't know. Yeah, but it's what also for the people around him. Maybe maybe Savick was like, "What the hell?" But other than that, you know, like, <laughs> she was crying. Yeah, she was crying. That's true. Um, it's yeah. Uh, yeah. Maybe it's like more from like what Kirk means from the word of like, despite Spock's like adherence to logic, he kind of he did have like a a a big heart, I guess to use the expression yeah. of like or a curiosity. Sure. Um. Yeah. Empathy, maybe. Um. But yeah, you're right. Yeah. I can imagine Spock in. I don't know. I don't know what Vulcans believe in afterlife, but like him being kind of like, <laughs> really, dude? Like, yeah, like half my <laughs> yeah. Come on, uh, the bagpipes oh, were yeah. James Sa- Duhon's Sav- idea. Savick's not crying because Spock is dead. She's crying because he ju- he just like <laughs> offended her. Yeah, she's ways. like, what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, um, and then they shoot his uh, they shoot his body out into space. Um, I mean, you know, it's in a it's in a coffin. It's like in a space coffin. Mm-hmm. Um, no, they don't just they like it dump it and shoot it out of the lock. Yeah, yeah. And then, um, and then David visits Kirk in his uh, in his quarters, and uh, says that he's proud to be a son. And my my thing is like based on what? Like, what are you? That was a hell of a eulogy back there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, I yeah, hate it's David. such a. It's such a weird scene to have after that scene. Yeah. You know? And it's like, I don't know. Like, could you have, you couldn't really put it before Spock dying. Like, it wouldn't go there. It would feel weird going right after Spock dying. Like, it would just, like, where does this fit? It just doesn't. I I think it's just meant to be, like, I guess like hope, and I don't know if the movie like delivers on that or David delivers on this, but I think what they were going for is that this is just David is like another new start for Kirk, another new adventure that like yeah. maybe might re- reinvigorate him of like, oh yeah, life's not done throwing mm-hmm. surprises at me. Yeah, yeah, but I I do think that you could have done this. This is this is the perfect example of like that thing that actors always say, where it's like I could do that whole scene with a look. Mm, yeah, you could do this whole scene with a look, just a, yeah. a, a, an exchange of looks between yes. Shatner and David, like on the bridge or something, like nod, and you would get everything that you get out of this scene. Um, then, like, so. proud to be father, proud to be son, and like they hug. Yeah, it's so weird. Um, not my favorite thing, but yeah, <laughs> we do get that last scene of uh, "I feel young," um, and you get a you get a bit where McCoy says. 
Uh, he'll always be as lo- alive as long as we can remember him. Your buddy, <laughs> you have no Which idea. Really putting a fine point on it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like oh you meant that literally yeah oh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the only thing missing was like a like him getting like a nosebleed or something right <laughs> oh, yeah that's funny oh i never used to do those never <laughs> used to have those weird <laughs> it's almost like there's too much going on up here anyway um <laughs> anyway uh and then we get the spock vo of like the very famous like captain kirk vo from the from the original series mm-hmm. um love that i know i know <laughs> nicholas meyer was not a fan but uh i i love it i love it as like a send-off first for spock even though like ultimately it's not but it it, it just there's something so poignant about having a thing that one character says all the time and then letting another character say it at like an appropriate moment that feels like, I don't know, it just feels like very dramatic. Mm-hmm. And I, I love that. I love that for this. I yeah, it's it, great. It fits very well. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, I wonder if there's going to be an episode of Mandalorian in the future where Grogu says, I can bring you in hot or I can bring you in cold. <laughs> I I hope that's the last line of the, of oh, the wow, show. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> except you would say it backwards, right? <laughs> Hot, I can. Um, I don't even know what that yeah. was. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's that's a tough one to put together into Yoda speak, actually. Yeah, um, <laughs> that's a, that's a tough most, one on the fly. Yeah, <laughs> it's weird because Yoda speak isn't Yoda speak for most of Yoda speak, but that's the <laughs> right, right. But now, canonically, I guess it has to be. Yeah. Um, I still hold the theory. I've yet to be disproven that only Yoda talks like that. I'm 100% behind that theory. I love that theory so much. Uh, We're going to find out because Yaddle is in that new animated thing. She is. So, yeah. I'm yeah. i for that. Hey, how's it going? I'm want... Yaddle. Hi. Yeah. <laughs> She's got a Valley Girl accent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she talks like oh Janice for the Muppets. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so excited to do Jedi stuff Dooku, today. what are you doing here? <laughs> Why is Yoda? All right. Fair enough. Um, yeah. So, uh, so anyway, that's, uh, that's, that's Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. Mm-hmm. A good movie. Great movie. It, that's what I say. It paradoxically made less than the motion picture, but was much more successful than the motion picture. Yeah. Right, because it cost less and people liked it. Yeah, right. And this is this is the curse of Star Trek, which is that like everyone does the same thing where they're like, ah, fool me once, not doing, not fooling me again. And so no one saw Wrath of Khan because everyone didn't like, um, uh, didn't picture. like motion picture. But then they eventually see Wrath of Khan. They're like, oh my god, everybody was right. That one ruled. I'm gonna go see the next one. <laughs> and then it was like <laughs> search for Spock, and everyone's like, well, this one's not as good. Well, yeah. not gonna fool me next time. <laughs> And then, yeah, it's just that's that's the real Star Trek curse, I think. Yeah. Um, that's, but, yeah. Uh, and that's for yeah, that's why by the time Star Trek six came out, they should have been like from the writer of Star Trek two and four. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. And four. Yeah. And the director of Wrath of Khan. I'm so um, I'm so 2020 brain broken last night that I finished the, the movie and the credits start to roll. And I'm like, I really have to go to the bathroom. But before I'm like, wait, is there a post credits? And then I was like, oh, my God, no, this is from the 80s. 
Yeah. There was a split second where I had to like remember if there was a post credits. Yeah. The Genesis stuff almost feels like a proto post credits scene. It does, right? Yeah. Where you see the 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 coffin lying in the in the Genesis and that that would be where the what the post credits would be now. Mm-hmm. Right. Be like a hand, a hand would like hit the glass. Yeah. Or that's I literally said uh, Spock's or, hand bursts through the coffin. <laughs> Or or some dirt on the top sort of like shakes yeah. a little bit. Um, yeah. Yeah. Or Blade comes out and opens it. <laughs> yeah. I'm here to tell you about the Federation Initiative. <laughs> um, I'm quite aware of the Federation Initiative. <laughs> so, uh, well, Tim, thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, any Any closing thoughts on Wrath of Khan or Star Trek in general? Um, just that it's been a while since I've watched this and man, I love this movie. Um, love this movie, love Star Trek for sure. I really want to go and watch. I mean, it's just seven seasons of next generation is just such a big mountain to climb, but I I do want to, um, I love this one. I feel like the only two that I'll skip are Doomsday Machine and the Changeling only because for whatever reason, Sci-Fi Channel played them every, like. I feel like twice a week, like, yeah. but uh, yeah, those are the only two, but um, yeah, always down to talk about Star Trek. I do not see why there ever was a rivalry between Star Wars and Star Trek. They're very scratch, completely different itches, but um, I think, I think everybody realized how stupid that was when they stuck the white rivalry into that Kyle Newman movie about stealing the Phantom Menace. Oh yeah. Oh, fanboys. yeah. Fanboys. Yeah, fanboys. Yeah, when they like show up at the Star Trek convention or whatever, and they're like, they have like a street fight or something. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. This is this is dumb. This is so <laughs> stupid. Why are we still doing this? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Thanks, fanboys. Oh, yep. <laughs> oh man, it's the only time I think anyone's ever said that. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, uh, well, um, tell people uh, where they can where they can hear you on uh, New Republic Archives. Tell yeah, check it. us out. Uh, check me and and uh, my co-host Gary Roby over on New Republic Archives. Uh, we do uh, we do basically a deep dive once a month and a uh, um, like just a chat general Star Wars chatter um, the other episode uh, of the month. So it's every two weeks. Uh, there's a new episode. Um, we tend to like doing the older sometimes not canon stuff uh for our deep dives just because i feel like everyone wants to like what's the next star wars thing but there's so much star wars that's already existed um that why not just go back so we've done you know some of the ewoks episodes some of the droids episodes um we did the holiday special last but um i think the next one we're gonna do is we're gonna do some some rebels uh just because that's kind of on the on the tip of everyone's tongue with all the Ahsoka stuff coming out soon. Yeah. So, um but yeah. Um so yeah, check us over out at uh New Public Archives on Twitter at NR Archives Pod um or over on the Discord at Dueling Genre. Um yeah. we're all, we're all very active on that. Indeed. Indeed. Um all right. Well, thanks for listening everybody. Check out the Patreon, duelinggenre.com/support and uh we'll talk to you guys next week with the search for Spock. Yep. <laughs> Genesis Part Two. Hi, it's the uh, it's the only Star Trek movie I've not seen. Whoa! Whoa! Yeah. 
So it's, I'm definitely going to watch it every okay, time. That's good. Yeah. It, it, it might be Scott's yeah. favorite. Yeah, it might be my favorite, actually. I know I was making fun of it earlier, but I, I really <laughs> like it a lot. Okay. Yeah. Definitely um, got to watch it. Yeah. Yeah. My mom gets mad. Right. She forgets every time. And every time I tell her, she's like, what? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they search for Spock. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Bye, everybody. Hit it. <laughs>